warning, pop culture leftovers might not be suitable for people who can't handle insane amounts of profanity, so you might want to fuck off. Pop culture leftovers might take its time getting around to its advertised content as well. If this is a huge problem for you, then you too can fuck off. Pop culture leftovers typically has a long run time as well. If you can't handle a four to six hour podcast, then you probably won't like us, and you too can join the aforementioned cock thistles and fuck off altogether in unison. Others who may not be able to handle pop culture leftovers include children under the age of 14, if you regularly listen to NPR, are a pregnant woman that has spent most of your first, second, and third trimester looking at stupid shit on both Etsy and Pinterest, if you tuck in your t-shirts, if you use a Bluetooth headset in public, if you go to motivational speaking seminars, if you have life goals, if you have self-respect, if you have a heart condition, if you're a huge pussy, if you're a huge pussy with a heart condition, or if your name is Melvin, TFS706, or TJ Lamb. Everyone else, please enjoy. Episode 360. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. It's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, do we love it? Hey, let's make it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushovers, pop culture. Leftovers, and the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers, I'm sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. You're listening to the only podcast with the balls to bite a radioactive spider. It's Pop Culture Leftovers. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And we're the Leftovers. Yeah, Jake. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I liked how we kind of sped up the intro there. Oh, you did? Yeah. Get, get right to it. Yeah, it's good. It was good. I was ready for it. I know. You don't, you don't like your movies over two hours. You don't like your intros over fucking three seconds. <laughs> the fuck? You are one, you are one nitpicky bastard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nitpicky, ADD, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> All the above. <laughs> D. I choose D. All of the above. All the, all the neuroticies or whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing the neuroticies book at you. I can't say that word. <laughs> I like I like the way you said it better than the real way. Yeah, fuck the real way. Oh, you hear that, Javante? I didn't pronounce it correctly. <laughs> Tomato, tomato, Zendaya, Zendaya. We got guests. Welcome back, Andy Craig. Thank you for having me again. Always a joy to be here. I'm going to bet with your preschooler fucking name. <laughs> what? <laughs> you, know, you know, like it's a running joke in my YouTube channel that I call my wife Handy Jill, and that has a, a – it's a double entendre. You yes, that, it right? is. Yeah, yeah. You, you, didn't, you didn't think that was funny or nah, – That's fucking hilarious, man. I'm, I'm – seriously, it's going to hit me here in a second. <laughs> it's gonna be a cavalcade of laughs, sir, coming your way. You better. You're gonna be like. You're gonna be like Indiana Jones running on that, that that hill, and my laughs are gonna be like that big fucking boulder coming right at you. I'm I'm here waiting for it, just to take it all in. I'm waiting for Eric Marable to make the meme of that. <laughs> uh, we're also joined by Melissa Sloter from the Wild Pretty Things podcast, and you do another fucking podcast. What's the other podcast you're doing? 
<laughs> yeah, the other podcast I'm doing is called Still Great, Bob. And actually, we have uh, changed our name a little bit. We added colon a Mad Men podcast after you, Brian, yeah. told me that we needed to. So yeah, we're doing that. <laughs> Mad Men Rewatch. I've never seen it. We're like mid-season three. Um, pandemic times is a little harder to keep a um, like tight schedule on that so we try to do a show every other week but it's been a little rocky lately but i promise we're still doing it <laughs> there you go oh it's what's it it's called what about bob no that was a bill murray movie that i love <laughs> i love that movie. oh fucking richard dreyfus still great bob Mad men podcast oh man you should do it i'm gonna jake let's let me and you let's do a competing podcast called the uh, still great bob new heart and it's all fucking all we do <laughs> Is review Bob Newhart shows. I love fucking Bob Newhart, man. He is so fucking funny. Even even today, that guy is just fucking. Why is he not getting more work? Yeah, he's very he's, he's a legend. Yeah. He was doing Big Bang Theory there for a little while. Yeah, I think he's ninety now, now though. Good for him. Good for him. You know, still a sexy beast. <laughs> no, but I, Newhart, one of, one of the great finales of all time, in my opinion. He is like the least sexual creature ever. I mean, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like he's in on that joke too. <laughs> you know. What, you know. What, you know. What I ate today. Yeah, we're gonna get to the content, people. We're gonna get to it. Chill out. We're gonna get to it. That's how the show works. We fuck around for a little bit, then we get to the content. All right. That's a. You know the drill. Anyway, I I bought uh I bought brioche hot dog buns. So fancy. Did you yeah. buy all beef hot dogs? I didn't. I, I didn't buy hot dogs. Oh, okay. Yeah, listen, 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 listen to this. Listen to this. Go there. Go to the store, and they got they got brioche buns and brioche hot dog buns. So they got the sandwich buns and they got the hot dog buns. And I was like, you know, I just want to eat. I want to eat a sandwich, but the brioche buns cost a dollar more. I was just like, I'm gonna stuff these hot dog brioche buns with fucking. The meats of my choice, the deli meats of my choice, <laughs> and eat it like a fucking hot dog. Cause I'm not, it's, it's 9.8 ounces for the bag of hot dog buns, and it's like 10.4 ounces for the bag of the brioche regular sandwich buns. I'm not paying fucking another dollar just for the convenience and, uh, the normalcy. Yeah, that's highway robbery. A fucking you dollar. Ain't no punk. I ain't no so, punk. Did you eat, is it like a significantly smaller sandwich? Did you have to eat multiple sandwiches? I did eat multiple sandwiches. I don't even know if they're called sandwiches at this point. I, I mean, is this I, like I don't, a hot dog slider? It's, it's a, well, it's like a hot dog dildo or like a, I, no. That's yeah, a weird, for sure. Yeah, because it's very phallic looking. I'm with that. Yeah. <laughs> but when you put the slices of meat in there, it almost looks like a vagina. So it's weird. Uh, so it goes from phallicy, phallic to like okay. vaginal. I got, yep. Wait, the, the I'm still with you. Like yeah. I fingered the fuck out of it before I ate it too. Never played with <laughs> oh my it. God. Never was there mayo it. on this sandwich or no? <laughs> there was after I was done with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wasn't there before. You, you know, I'm painting a picture for you. Cause like, just like I painted those fucking hot dogs. What? Huh? We get it. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> mm. Starting off a little pervy. I was going to so. say, you know, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but 
when I saw that I was paired with Melissa this week, I'm like, I can't be quite as pervy as I normally. Don't worry. And then you go right to a way pervier place than I normally. <laughs> you know, I, seriously, you gotta. You, you know, I think I think she she's a big girl. She can handle this shit. Evidently, yes. <laughs> the fuck, you acting like she's a fucking prude on this show. No, not at all. That's not. I, if, if I offended you, Melissa, I'm sorry. You're good. We're all good. <laughs> Mayo on a sandwich is good. It's all fine. Oh yeah, molesting a sandwich just as good. Just as good. <laughs> you know what you do in your own house, Brian? None of my business. Exactly. It's pandemic shit gets weird. Yeah, shit gets fucking weird. We got iTunes reviews, people. Let me play that. I should have been ready to play that bumper right after I said that, Jake. That would have been like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That would have been, that'd have been like a smooth ass transition, but I wasn't. Time for iTunes reviews. <laughs> it's one star Yeah, first iTunes review. Actually, it's a, it's a it's an edit. Somebody edited theirs. I don't usually read the edits, but I'm going to read this one. And it comes from Squid underscore Inc. And the title, Tupperware This Podcast, and it's got in parentheses, edited. And then it says edit. Oh, go ahead, Jake. At least he wasn't trying to be sneaky like they, they usually are. Oh, I know. They do. They do. Edit, colon. I feel bad that I left Jake out of my previous review. So this is like a previous review that he wrote. He kept the original review in there so we can read the original review, but I'm not going to read the original review. But they didn't mention you in the original review. So now they go, I feel bad that I left Jake out of my previous review. He's an integral part of the show, not a guest, as I might have implied earlier. As for my feelings on the podcast, let's just say when a new episode drops, it's like Christmas morning. When they occasionally skip a week, I Google how to tie a noose. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Sounds like the next handy handy Greg video. Yeah, that got that got really dark. Yeah, yeah, suicide. <laughs> <laughs> I would say you all correct, sir, I guess. I, yeah. Oh boy. Thank God he, he uh, amended that. I, I I can finally get some sleep again tonight. Oh I know. Jesus Christ, the late night texts I get from you. Can't sleep, Brian. I had a fuck <laughs> I I threw my fucking phone across the room. Uh, fucking underscore ink. Squid ink. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Mm. Next one comes uh, from. I'm not going to lie. I'm still distracted by the mayonnaise story. Man. Oh, me and the mayonnaise story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of mayonnaise, man. <laughs> bring out the Hellman's and bring out the best. Mmm. Hellman's had a theme song? Yes, they did. Bring out the Hellman's. Bring out the best. Bring out the it's real quick. Jake would have liked it. It's real fast. Bring out the Hellman's. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, next one comes from Vincent, the drug dealer. And it's titled... Whoa. Yeah, whoa. You're right, sir. Whoa. <laughs> fucking, uh. Free advertising. Dare program is just fucking losing their shit right now. They still do that in schools, Dare? I hope so. I still have my Dare t shirt. I'm pretty sure ours was called Project Alert. <laughs> that sounds yeah, like, exactly. that sounds like a, like a, like a, something that's gonna, like caffeine pills, like Jesse Spano, what she's taking or some shit. Project yeah, well, alert. It's gonna fucking work because we're all doing drugs. So. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> it made you. It made me alert for low cost weed in college. 
I am like Project Oregon. They they legalize everything, didn't they? <laughs> Jesus Christ, people in Oregon are bored. Let's, let's do a bunch We're of all drugs. Bored. No shit. Yeah. Uh, it's titled The Nerd Inside. It's a five star and goes on to say, I was a casual moviegoer, mainly Marvel, and I stumbled upon you guys while looking for something to listen to on drives to and from work. I'm a floating pharmacist and drive a lot. The entertainment and passion for comics, movies, superheroes, etc. pulled me in so much I became a nerd myself. LOL. Made himself laugh there, Jay. <laughs> oh, yeah. He actually put that in there. He the did. LOL. He did. He made himself laugh. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to let everybody know that that, that tickled me. LOL. Oh, yeah. This podcast has introduced me to so many movies and comics I never knew I'd be interested in. All the way from Mississippi. Thanks for the laughs and entertainment. Keep up the good work. Why not great work, Jake? Why Why the choice of just good? Hmm, that's your scale, huh? That's good the shit great. that keeps me up at night, Jake. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm always here to listen. You listen to my rantings enough. You can, you can let me know this. I've muted your rantings enough. Absolutely. You're <laughs> 100%. No, thank you, Vincent. Keep on slinging those drugs. And, uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, gotta love the five stars. Gotta love the, gotta love the iTunes reviews coming in again, Jake. Yeah, it's nice. There's been a nice little steady flux of them lately. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Before, when we weren't getting that flux, I was like, what the flux? That was, <laughs> that was what I was saying there, Jake. Uh, mother fluxer. Mother fluxer. Compass, flux capacitor. Back to the future. <laughs> Mom tried to make out with him. <laughs> Biff Tannen Sports Almanac. <laughs> just reliving those movies at this point. Yeah, what is going on? It's like I don't know. Tourette's. I don't know. <laughs> so weird. Oh, man. Hey, what do we got here? What else we got here? Oh, I got some gifts from people. I'm going to open those on the air because people love that when they can't see it. It's not a visual podcast, but this first uh, first gift comes from its Christmas gift. comes from Philip Guillet. Philip Guillet. Love Philip. What did he send? What did he send? Feels like a... Oh, it's, it's, it's Amazon on it. Feels like It looks like it's a Blu-ray. I'm opening it up right now. And what do we have here? This is uh, Wes Craven's. The Serpent and the Rainbow. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. Oh, that's a classic. I love this movie. I haven't seen this in a long time. Thank you, sir. Oh, my God. Uh, Bill Pullman. Oh, this is fantastic. Based on, like, loosely based on a true story. Um, it's like, uh, you know, uh, yeah, a Harvard anthropologist played by Bill Pullman from Lake Placid Independence Day is sent to Haiti to retrieve a strange powder that is said to have the power to bring human beings back from the dead. In his quest to find the miracle drug, the cynical scientist enters the rarely seen netherworld of walking zombies, blood rites, and ancient curses. Based on the true-to-life experiences of Wade Davis. Yeah, yeah, this is a great fucking movie. Thank you, Philip. You ever seen, you ever seen this one, Greg? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's been a long time, but I've absolutely seen it. Classic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Melissa, have you seen it? Nope, I'm the odd one out. That's very good. It's very good. I, I highly recommend The Serpent and the Rainbow. I don't even know if it's streaming anywhere. This is the collector's edition. Thank you, Philip. I got another gift here from uh, from June, past guest June. What does she send here? Let me open this up. 
I, I, I'm trying to open these up at the beginning, Jake, because I'll get so fucking drunk by the end of this goddamn thing. I won't remember. And then, uh, then Christmas is past. Merry Christmas, everybody. Anyway, hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh shit. Oh, I love it. This is uh, a. <laughs> oh shit. Um, <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Hey, Philip sent a note. I'm gonna read that later. I'm gonna read that later to myself. June sent me a note here too. Oh my god, this is a. Uh, it's a Mandalorian. Uh, samurai inspired, uh, t-shirt here. And, uh, it's got the fucking Tatooine Two Sons in the background, the Razor Crest. This looks incredible. I love it. Oh, God. And this card that she made. Very cool. It's got a little baby Yoda on the front. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. This is incredible. Thank you. I love this fucking t-shirt. That is awesome. I'll take a picture of both of these and put them on our Facebook page and on our Twitter. And everybody can see these because these are fucking awesome. We have great listeners. Thank you, June. Thank you, Philip. That's fucking awesome. Philip also sent me a birthday gift. I'll read that on a future episode. I'll read that on an episode where Jake won't wish me happy birthday, which is every birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? I uh, I searched our messages after this last combo. I think I've hit two out of the six. Uh, I don't think Birthday? you've ever. I don't know if you've ever done it on the day. Mm, at least you, one of them was on the day. I, I, oh yeah, you should be proud of that one, Jake. But you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 last year, last year, I, I every year you get you get a birthday wish from me on the day, on the day, and. Uh, I think last year you were maybe three weeks late. Three weeks late last year. No, that's a record. Mm. Yeah. So, Brian, you're right after Christmas, right? Junior yeah. or something? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was going to be my question. Is your birthday a known date, or is it like a Ron Swanson situation? I gotta ask Baskin Robbins. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. I mean, you gotta seek out past episodes. I mean, it's out there. It's out there. Okay. It's, uh, okay. people have looked it up. I've given it away before. It's the same birthday of, uh, of, it's the day before Gene Hackman's birthday and it's the same day of, uh, uh, Tolkien's birthday. That'll be January 29th. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the day before Gene Hackman's birthday, right? Gene Hackman's birthday is. Gene Hackman. Yeah, he was born on January 30th, 1930, so that makes you 81. No. 29th. Happy 80th birthday. You are cutting the fuck in and out. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Uh, again? Yeah. Yeah, you sound like shit, right? Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> Let's pause. All right, we're back. Hopefully, Greg is is with us. I, 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 I don't even remember what we were talking about. I think you you fingered a sandwich. Yeah, I was masturbating on. And then we were trying to figure out what your birthday was. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not the day. Gene Hagman's birthday, I got that totally wrong. I got that completely wrong. But it's, it's, yeah, it's it's Tolkien's birthday. That's 100% correct. All right, pause for applause. What the fuck is going on right now? Jesus Christ. I'm Googling, I'm Googling Tolkien's birthday, so. There you go. It looks like January 5th. Well, shut the fuck up. No. <laughs> was that a troll, Greg? Nice job. Yes, it was. That's a troll. <laughs> hey, let's move on. I'm done talking. Jan- January 3rd, 1892. Yeah. <laughs> done talking about a day that 
Jake doesn't acknowledge. Here we go. All right. Let's see here. Thank you for the gifts, everybody. Got an email this week. I'm not going to read this one, but I did get an email from, from our good friend Ken Dog this week. All right. Yeah. So thank you, Ken Dog. Ken Dog's still listening. Ken Dog! Still listening. <laughs> thank you, Ken Dog. And then, uh, what did I get? I got, uh, got an email here from, uh, Chris. From Chris, I'll just call you Chris. It says, uh, thanks for helping entertain a do-it-yourself band on the road and during COVID. Hi, Brian. I'm Chris, one half of the rock duo Volk out of Nashville, Tennessee. And that's V-O. V is in Victor. V is in Voldemort. Volk out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I've been a huge fan of your podcast for going on three years now. The material-packed, open-ended format has definitely helped fill four- to six-hour drives across the country while on tour, playing 200-plus shows for the last couple of years. You and Jake have been lifesavers, especially driving through Iowa. Knock on Iowa there. Wow. Sorry, Joe Stark. Joe Stark, past guest from Iowa, was legit going to contact you last spring because we had a concert in Champaign. I think you live near there to see if you wanted to go see a movie with us before the show. But COVID now in the perpetual Groundhog's Day world with no inkling of when live shows and touring can return. Your podcast has become essential listening to help keep up with all the best shows and movie drops. Do it yourself. Band life was hard before and almost impossible now. So any respite that folks like you give is beyond appreciated. I sincerely wanted to thank you for the podcast. Having you, Jake, and all the leftover army has been a huge part of my life the last couple of years. As a gift, I wanted to share with you a sneak peek of my band's music video, Welcome to Cashville, that will premiere next week. The do-it-yourself project of making the film is epic in itself, where two actual filmmakers took pity on a rock duo and drug us around Nashville for three days of guerrilla filming. The real film nerd out is that it ended up being colored by the same guy who did Jojo Rabbit. I've included this link so you can view it in its original 4K uh, format. I, I watched the video. I'm going to talk about that here in a second. We are absolutely terrified that it will be swallowed up in the 2020 void, but fuck it. Regardless, thanks for everything. I'm looking forward to the next week's episode, and that comes from Chris. Everybody on the podcast this week, I sent you this video, and hopefully you had a chance to watch it. But, man, this this song, Welcome to Cashville, this – and Volk, I, great sound, and, and the video is fantastic. I loved it. I, I've listened to this song a few times now. I can't believe it's, it blows my mind that people. And I was talking to my sister about this because I sent the I sent it to her too, and I was like, uh, it blows my mind that all these people, all these talented people, listen to my show, and they're listening to the to the world's most untalented fuck every week. Get on here and try to make something, and it just it's a huge. Um, I don't know. It's awesome. It's awesome. That's all. It's a huge compliment that uh, such talented people listen to this uh, week in and week out. So thank you. What did you guys think of this? Did you guys watch this? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I, I followed these guys on Spotify right after hearing the song. So and did I. I. Listened to it about three times, and um, yeah, it was really cool. Um, I appreciate a video that doesn't look like it was shot in a warehouse these days because that's pretty much what eighty-five percent of them look like, and you can tell they did some on location stuff and I thought it was really fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I followed them on Spotify too. You can follow them on Spotify. I, I would at least, you know, go to Spotify, give them a listen. Um, Melissa, what do you think? Oh my God. I loved it. Like, I can't wait to put this song in rotation. Okay. So I know it's a pandemic. We're not supposed to hang out, but my sister lives in the city. So I do hang out with her, but there's no bars. So all we ever do is put on YouTube music videos and like scream in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't wait to put the song into rotation because it is absolutely perfect for that. Like it is so fun. Yeah. The 
like the vocals are like so passionate and any music that is like genre bending and then includes like a little bit of screaming is like my number one favorite so i super love this i'm very into it very cool did you get a chance greg i did the lead singer is badass and she plays drums and sings she's a kick but i i totally appreciate it have you guys ever been to nashville by any chance years ago a long time ago Nashville's an awesome city and they did a great job like just capturing the character of Nashville in this I video. So definitely had that thought while watching it. Like Jesus fucking Christ, I cannot wait to have fun again and go to Nashville where everything is <laughs> wild. <laughs> it's, it's a great, great city. So no, this was a kick ass video. I loved it. And um, definitely could see just the beautiful like, just the, the color palette of the video was really impressive. I mean, um, it's gonna go into my rotation too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for reaching out. It's awesome. I mean, it's like uh, sometimes you got these silent members of the army, but man, they are doing some incredible stuff. So yeah, please everybody, uh, go to Spotify or go wherever and, uh, check out Volk and, uh, and, uh, listen to that Welcome to Cash, but listen to some of their other songs too. They're pretty fucking awesome. I, I was very, very impressed. Do you guys see, uh, Pepsi is launching, uh, Cocoa Cola, a soda that tastes like hot chocolate with marshmallows? I did no, not you. see that. You heard about yeah, this, Melissa? That sounds bad. I just heard about it when you said it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, sound, everybody on the podcast sounds like that's the say, the, the case. Uh, after receiving more than two thousand retweets, Pepsi will launch a Coca Coca Cola from their test kitchen. In a tweet, the company said the drink will be a way to say goodbye to the worst year ever. The drink is described as a delicious blend of cocoa and hint of marshmallow mixed with Pepsi Cola. Oh my god! It's like like we like like we need more sugar. And our okay, but fucking there's Pepsi. really good like s'mores beers that you can already have what? that have alcohol in them. What? And, oh gosh, not everybody and drinks. Pepsi. Not everybody drinks, Melissa. Okay, you're right. That was insensitive of me, and I apologize. Yeah, what do we got? What have we got? A recovering alcoholic listen to this one. I already said you were right. Speaking of which, I got an email here from a recovering alcoholic thanking us for not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that fake chocolate taste though is really awful and it just that's what comes to my mind when i hear this i toss this news because it's going to be that fake shitty chocolate taste mm. yeah i think i'm there with greg carbonated I, I toss it too. cold hot chocolate carbonated that's cold hot chocolate mm. i don't know i like the vanilla the the vanilla coke yeah i liked the cinnamon coke it seemed pretty hated but i, I thought it was pretty delicious so do they mention in the ad if you if you take the cap off and leave it for an hour, does a skin form at the top of this Pepsi or no? Oh, is that, is that what chocolate milk does? What? No, no, hot, hot chocolate. It gets a nasty skin on the top. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, nowhere in the in the in the news release does it talk about a skin. <laughs> <laughs> God, reporters these days. Ugh. I know. Let's talk about the things that matter. People, <laughs> Jesus, fucking BuzzFeed, what are you doing? I don't even know if this is, no, this is Firewog, fireblog.com, fire, no, firewire, firewireblog.com, I'll give them the credit, there you go, alright, uh, we, we've got a uh, new contest this week, 
So for all the people on Discord that give me the timestamps, I love it. When they give me the timestamps, they always give me the timestamps for when I announce the winners. I don't need the timestamps for when I announce the winners. I need the timestamps for when I announce the initial contest. But I, I appreciate the people on Discord doing this for me every week. Every time we announce one of these contests, Jake, I got to send an email to the people that hold this shit and let them know when we start talking about it. And so, yeah. Oh, I was wondering what made you break on the timestamps. That makes sense now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just, I want to know the timestamps. I'm not going to include them in the episode. I just need to know them to send them to the lady. I'm pulling back the curtain, and man, it, I'm giving our listeners an exciting look into the inner workings of PCL right now. Yeah, this is fucking crazy. My, I know. Yeah, if if I wait too long for the timestamp, is there a skin that's left on the top of it? Do, do you guys know? <laughs> gross oh. oh god this episode's getting worse i apologize uh yeah a new contest it's a, a movie called breach uh cody kearsley and bruce willis star in the action-packed sci-fi thriller breach buyer rented on digital today fleeing earth after a deadly plague a spaceship transporting the remaining survivors faces a new threat a shape-shifting alien force intent on slaughtering what is left of humanity Buy or rent Breach and watch it tonight. Rated R from Paramount Pictures. Thomas Jane also stars in The Breach. Did you see the news about Thomas Jane wanting to direct John Bernthal in a Punisher movie? Oh, hey, he just awesome. directed an episode of the new season of The Expanse. So, uh, did it? Yeah, I, I love Thomas Jane. I love Thomas Jane. I loved, um, oh God, I, I've, I've liked him ever since, uh, he did that movie Thursday, which was one of his first movies that he did. And, uh, and then going on, on from that, I'm trying to remember what other things that I've watched him in. Yeah, so he was, of course, in Arrested Development. He did like a little bit of the, a few of those episodes. He was the original Punisher. I'm trying to think, what else? Thomas. Jane. I liked him in Dreamcatcher a lot. I, that movie gets shit on a lot, but I actually quite like it. I haven't watched that in years, but I liked it the first time I watched it. Maybe it doesn't hold up. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's good. I like it. Yeah. You know, we talked about the multiverse stuff last week, but I can't imagine John Bernthal's Punisher ever formally becoming part of the MCU in the post sort of like Jeff Lowbear. It's just he's just too violent of a character. Is it me? Yeah, they'd have to neuter that character big time. So I think that's why, yeah. like, yeah, I think that's why Thomas Jane was wanting to, uh, to direct him in like something. That's just all talk. You know, these, these articles, they, they're talking, I'm sure that, they, you know, Thomas Jane was doing, uh, press junkets for like the new season of The Expanse and he just, they, somebody asked him about the Punisher and he brought up this idea and didn't he, did he direct the, uh, Dirty Laundry short, that Punisher short that he, that, that was made a few years ago? I don't think he directed it, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know it's like an Andy Addy. What is it? Addy Shot. Uh, Addy Shankar. One of those uh, bootleg universe movies. Boot- yeah, he did like the adult Power Rangers thing he and a few other stuff like yeah, that. Venom, Truth, and Journalism with Ryan Quanton. And I'm trying to think, he's done that. It. Was not directed by Thomas J. That was not all right. Yeah, he was good, and <laughs> it was fucking awesome. If you haven't seen Dirty Laundry, it's fucking amazing. I tried to Google it, too, and everything came up the Don Henley song. I fucked up. <laughs> so I had to Google Dirty Laundry Punisher. Yeah, I was getting there, but you you were already having info. <laughs> yeah. 
now Jake's just listening to that Don Henley song. <laughs> Kick them when they're up. Kick, Kick them when, when they're, they're down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, all right. Yeah. That, so that yeah, breach, uh, all you need to do in order to get entered into that contest, I'm going to be putting out a breach tweet and a breach Facebook post, retweet it or share it on Facebook and then capture a screenshot. Send me an email titled breach at comments at pop culture leftovers. And I popcultureleftovers.com and I will um, uh, get you entered into that contest. We'll read off the five winners. I got five people that are going to win digital copies of this movie and I'll go over those winners. Not next week, but the week after because next week is 100% Wonder Woman, I believe. That's our, this is going to be our Wonder Woman episode next week, Jake. Yeah, I'm excited. It's been forever since we've done a movie episode. I know. I'm really excited for that too. I know. Because I miss full episodes full of, like, one topic. Well, it's crazy that, I mean, I I don't think I've, we've ever done a movie episode like this, Jake, where I can basically go back and rewind something and not have to go to the movie theater three times to make sure that I saw what I just saw or heard what I just heard. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, if someone notices something that another person didn't notice, they can check it out on break or whatever even. Yeah. It's crazy. There's going to be Easter eggs and all this other stuff, and there's going to be screenshots that people are going to be able to grab and post on the internet. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's a crazy world we're living in, sir. Yeah, very much, very much. It'll be very interesting to see what the box office for Wonder Woman is or how many people view it on HBO, just like all the stats in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. I guess you know we're going to do Good Pop, Bad Pop, but... I think what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, the Mandalorian chapter 16 first. So if you haven't seen it, we are going to dive into full spoilers on this one. Um, but yeah, the Mandalorian chapter 16. And uh, I, I, I'm not going to say, I think, is this, is this, is this like the new favorite episode for everybody? Like, you know, I mean, Honestly, I, I had a lot of fun with this one, but I think like even the previous episode, the previous episode I had so much fun with, the Bill Burr episode, just the whole like me rooting for stormtroopers and stuff like that. And and um, a couple complaints I'm getting really sick of hearing about the Mandalorian is number one, how long the episodes are. And then no. number two is like – the uh oh nothing happened in this episode it was a, it was filler nothing to move the story along and it's like i don't you know i mean it's i feel like everybody's got to have it's like if if you don't get introduced to ahsoka in this episode or if you don't get fucking luke skywalker in this episode people just say nothing happened in the entire episode like the bill burr episode oh nothing happened you needed that whole episode so he could find out where moff gideon was and i mean that's Not what, only that, but I think there was some like emotional stuff that happened to Mando too. So oh, if yeah. people don't like character development, I guess that's fine. But that's what I want in the show is like character stuff. All the fight stuff is fine and cool for me. But if it's an episode that's like mostly just fight sequences, that's when I'm like, nothing happened. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Here's the thing. I, I I love I do love the character development stuff. Um, I love it a lot, but man, it's just 
<laughs> there's something when, when, when you get the right director in there, and I think Rick Fumiawa was an amazing action director that episode. When you get the right director in there doing some action sequences with the Mando, it's, he's got so many tricks and toys that he can use when he fights. It's, it's awesome. So. Yeah, I thought there was a really, in the penultimate episode, I thought there was a really good balance of like action and. Yeah. Like emotional storytelling. When he takes off that helmet, you know, like, I mean, here's the thing. And it's like when he takes off that helmet and he's not the confident Mandalorian that we've seen in all the previous episodes, you can see that he, it's just, he's not, he's out of his element. I feel like he's as vulnerable as he was when he was a foundling. He, he goes back to like the last time, like he didn't wear the helmet and that was when he was a kid and he, I, he just couldn't. It's it was such a contrast between what we see with him with the helmet on, the confidence and the, you know, and then just taking that helmet off. And and not only is he like literally exposed and we can see him, but I feel like he's exposed as a as a person at this point where he, he just doesn't even really know how to how to handle the situation without his fucking helmet on his complete lack of confidence. It was I thought it was just an amazing, amazing episode. Yeah, and major yeah. Pedro Pascal. I thought he killed it in that episode. And I think he did a fantastic job in this finale, too. I mean, we don't even know when it's Pedro Pascal in the suit versus the stunt guys, but yeah, you know, really gotten to show off the last couple episodes, and he deserves it. I mean, wonderful performance from him. Oh, I love him. I love him. Do you think I think we're going to be uh, uh, seeing a lot more of him with the with the helmet off going forward in uh, in future episodes? Yeah, I mean, th- in this episode, I mean, that's that's kind of like what happened at the end, I mean, of this episode, it was like, I don't think anybody's touched his face since, since he was a child. Can you imagine? So emotional. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, nobody, he has he hasn't had that level of affection since he was a child. And, and, and here's Grogu touching his face at the end. I, I don't know about you guys, but I was a fucking blubbering mess. It was a total roller coaster of emotions for me, and uh, I was crying throughout probably the last fifteen minutes of the episode. <laughs> but but yeah, that that got me especially hard. And it, you know, it's hard. It's it's interesting getting in the character's head. It, you almost get the sense. I think him taking his helmet off sealed that he really thought he was never going to see Grogu again. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking to himself, I'm never going to see this child again, and this is my one chance to let him see who I really am. So I'm going to take it. And well, he says, well, well, I'll meant. see you yeah. again. Did he mean it then? I think he meant he hopes he sees him again. <laughs> or maybe but, he was just trying to make Grogu feel okay. You know, yeah, that's kind of what you say like, to a kid. You know, he's asking for your permission. I keep getting the feeling. I keep, and I see this being mirrored. Star Wars mirrors itself in so many ways. History repeats itself in so many ways. You know, it's like we got that amazing fight scene in Rogue One with Darth Vader. And then here we got, it mirrors like father, like son. We see this amazing fight scene from like this fully fledged Luke Skywalker Jedi. And then, you know, at the end you get like, just like in, uh, um, uh, um, Return of the Jedi when, 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 uh, Vader takes off the mask and looks at his son with his own eyes, we, we, we have the same thing happening here where the Mandalorian takes off the helmet and sees Grogu, you know, face to face. They're looking eye to eye. And I get, and, and, and I'll, I'll see you again. I get the same feeling here that is Filoni and Favreau 
are they setting it up to where the Mandalorian is going to die? You've got Anakin who's going to come back and always planned on coming back and freeing his mother. And we know what happened. And I feel like this is like, I'll see you again. And like, what if Grogu doesn't get that moment with he comes, you know, Grogu, it's, it's too late. He doesn't see the Mandalorian. I mean, could we, I don't know. Is, is this crazy for me to be thinking this? No, so I could see I, the whole thing having a dour ending. I mean, I, that would be very ballsy and I, I could see it happening. Like, yeah. And what I was going to say is like, just, I guess, caveat, I'm not, super immersed in Star Wars lore, but I do understand that the Mandalorian story kind of takes place between some other Star Wars stories that we already know what the canon is. So it would make sense to me if Mando does end up, you know, dying before he sees Grogu because we know that these two didn't have enough impact in the storyline to like have showed up in movies already so like something happens where they don't leave a legacy yeah that's a great right or am i misunderstanding that no 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 (laughs) no no there's a i mean i don't know if you guys have read this there's a lot of buzz about you know does is grogu at luke's school when Kylo Ren snaps and kills everyone. Is that oh, how God. Grogu died? I know. I mean, first I, of all, that, that emo pussy killing Grogu, I can't accept that. I'm sorry. I just can't. <laughs> there's got to be some, so there's got to be something that separates Grogu and Luke before that event because what is, uh, that would be roughly 30 years later, 35 years later, and Grogu would probably still be biologically like a little boy. I, I mean, think, that would right? retroactively fuck well, all of Kylo Ren's redemption that they tried to do. Yoda, You're exactly well, right. <laughs> Yoda, Yoda was training. Yoda was training Jedi when he was a hundred years old. We know that from canon. Okay. So okay. between now and fifty years in the future, like we know it happens thirty years in the future, but you know, in between, I, I mean, I don't know if they're going to do a time jump with all of this kind of stuff. And the next time we see Grogu, he's going to be. You know, older talking things like that. I, I I really don't know. I think next season is going to be kind of like this battle for Mandalore, and um, I don't think we really need to see Grogu next season. In my opinion, I, it doesn't really call for it. I think everything's leading towards you know Bo-Katan and and this battle for Mandalore. And now that they've got like this cruiser and they've got other ships, they're probably building up whatever's left of like the Mandalorians for this, for the Battle of Mandalore and to take it back over. Um, I think after season three, we might be getting our answers to like what's going on with Grogu. But that's, I'm guessing. I, for all I know, it's like, you know, fucking Filoni's been subverting all, all of our expectations this whole season. Everybody's like, ah, Luke's not going to show up. Luke's not going to show up. It's going to be, you know, Ezra Bridger. It'll be, I mean, I was even <laughs> Some saying, video game character. Some video game ca- character. Cal Kestis or whatever his fucking name was, you know. But it's, and then, um, you know, I even said like Mace Windu and, uh, you know, it's, it's like, you know, these guys are going there. These guys are going, and it makes sense. It makes sense. This is what, this is what we know what Luke was doing. He was going to Jedi, you know, seeking out Jedi temples. He's very in tune with the force. And this is like the kind of stuff, this is, he would definitely be in tune to hear Grogu's call for help. And, um, but man, I don't know, this whole Jedi school thing, I, I think that, you know, Everybody's got to choose their path. Does he leave and go? I, I think it's just too. I don't. Is it just too 
neat and convenient for just him to go back to the Mandalorian, back with the Mandalorian at this point? I don't know. I, it's crazy. It's, I'm going to be dying to see what they do in seasons three and four with this series. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're not going to lean on the Grogu crutch next season and they'll, they'll do the Mandalore stuff, but I, I think a hundred percent we're going to get back to Grogu and Mandalorian and their oh, relationship, yeah. but we have not seen the last of this in my opinion. Oh yeah. You know, I wonder too if Grogu has, he has the same kind of connection with Mando that Leia has with Han, for example, where Han doesn't have the force, but Leia feels when bad things happen to Han, right? So that's all, it's also possible that as Mando gets into these further sort of adventures, at some point Grogu feels what's happening to him and tells Luke, like, I, I'm going, I'm sorry, this isn't for me. As, as little as Grogu is, he can still communicate with Luke and he says, take me back to him. I, I could see that because I don't, I, I don't have a strong feeling that we're going to get a lot more Luke, at least anytime soon, especially with them using, with them using de-aging technology. So that means you're more likely to see Grogu separate from Luke or not see Grogu at all. Um, so I could see something like that where he just goes back to Mando feeling that he's in danger in some way. Yeah, I, I didn't absolutely love this episode. This was by no means my favorite episode. I, I didn't hate it, but I don't know. I thought the the Luke wonky special effects stuff really took me out of the moment and kind of made my emotions go away. Like I wasn't able to get the emotional impact I maybe should have had we gone with a different character or we actually had more solid special effects doing the job. It actually was kind of a takeaway for me. And I don't know. I just thought this whole Skywalker thing was a little bit, it it makes sense. It makes perfect sense, but it just felt a little bit boring for that to be the final deal. And I don't know. I just didn't really care for it all that much. I'm completely opposite. As far as the special effects, I thought that they were not great. His upper lip didn't move at all. It looked like, you know, fucking he had Botox injections or some shit. It was, it was weird at first, but like I got over it. I mean, I, I got over it because I thought the emotional impact of like what was really going on here was, uh, was way more powerful than Luke's upper lip moving. You know, it was like the complete opposite of watching Henry Cavill show up with his fucking CGI mustache gone. <laughs> yeah. The only part I got really emotional at was when R2 rolled in. That, that actually really hit me pretty good. But I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I, I loved the week before a lot. But maybe had they not have had him take his helmet off that week, it would have had more of an impact for when and why he did it in the finale. I don't know. I'm just trying to put my finger on why this didn't. Normally, I'm pretty emo for this kind of stuff. But, man, this just, just didn't hit me like it did everyone else. It doesn't seem like. Both both times he took it off. It hit me hard. Both times he took off the helmet. hit me really hard. And I I totally give him a pass on taking off the helmet both times. I know some people are upset that he take, he's been taking the helmet off more and all this stuff. And I think, like, if you go back season one. You know, my mindset was like, I don't want to see him ever take off the fucking helmet. But I think like with what he's been learning about, you know, Mandalore and like, you know, some of these different kind of ways that the that these uh, different facts, factions of the, the Mandalorians are. I think he's kind of, you know, he's changing. He's evolving and he's going to choose. I think he's going to, you know, Grogu's choosing his path. I think he's choosing his own path at this point. I think we're seeing um less of the bounty hunter I, I don't think he's gonna i don't i don't think he's gonna go be be able to go back to just going to grief carga and doing these doing this 
fucking bounty hunter shit. I think he's, I think he's signed up. I don't know. Is he signed up for the cause? Well, he didn't even know that he, he didn't even know that his sect of the Mandalorians weren't the only Mandalorians. So he's learned a lot about his culture in the last few episodes. That's another thing that I could see being impactful to him as well. I, to answer your question, I don't see him going back to being a bounty hunter. I yeah. think he's enrolled in a lot more high stakes stuff at this point. And, you know, I, I think it is going to sort of the retaking of Mandalore and exactly where he fits into that. I think it'll be really interesting. Um, to, you know, one thing just to weigh in on, I don't, I don't think this was the best episode, but it definitely was the most impactful for me personally. I mean, yeah. we've talked about this. Obviously, I had personal issues with the new trilogy. I had a lot of issues with the way Luke was handled. When we saw that X-Wing, one of my kids said to me, Dad, is that Luke? And I said, nope, not him. And then he gets out and you see this guy in a dark cloak and he flashes a green lightsaber. They're like, that's Luke. And I'm like, no, that's not Luke. That's going to be somebody else. I refuse to believe it was Luke. And then you see the hilt and it's so clearly him. It was just, it was so supremely emotional to see Luke again, you know, to, to feel like we were going to get that. And then again, not to bash the new movies, but I don't feel like we got that. And finally, finally now we see Luke one more time, one more time. And yeah, his face was fucked up. I admit that, you know, but it, it meant so much to yeah. see Luke just, just a little bit. One more time. Yeah. Um, it was a great Christmas gift. A great gift. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't have a big beef with um, him taking the helmet off for story purposes. And I, the more I kind of mull it over in my head, I do think that maybe he wouldn't have been able to do what he did for Grogu without being forced to do what he did to save his life the previous episode. Maybe doing one led to the ability to do the other. And I kind of like the character beats there. But I don't know. Just it being... One week later, it was just for me. Didn't make it as emotionally. But it was for me. Could have been for me. It was emotional because he's taking it off for Grogu now, and they're looking at each other, and that's what hit me. That's what fucking hit me, man. Oh my god, did it hit me hard? And um, we still haven't heard the kid cry though, and that's a good. That's good though. That's good though. I mean, that if he would have cried, I don't think Luke would have taken him like if you know at that point being that emotional so you know i think they're holding what on I didn't to that realize till today oh i'm sorry brian Go I, ahead. I think they're holding on to that i think it still yeah. could happen i don't know remember mando still has that silver ball too it sounds like such a silly thing but he still has it he still has it and i think that that eventually he'll i think if the mando dies and Grogu goes to the body. We're going to get that final scene of Grogu fucking using that ball and attaching it to his lightsaber hilt. And it'll be a part oh. of his. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Can I, um, I got to give credit in one more place where credit's due. Um, I have, you know, we talked as recently as last week about Gina Carano and her performance. Yeah. I do have to give her credit when that Imperial was talking shit about Alderaan. That was a great moment. And I really give her credit. I I thought she did a great job in that scene showing how much she was restraining herself until that last moment when she blew his head off. You know, (laughs) I thought that was a really powerful moment. And I thought she 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 did really well. So kudos. I mean, you know, would like to see her continue to work on that. But I thought um, 
it was a good moment for her. I think, I mean, look at all actors, you know, from the beginning of their careers to like where they end up. I mean, it's a process. It's a, you know, it's, it's muscle memory. It's doing stuff over and over and over again. I don't think she's hit her ceiling, but I don't think that she's ever going to be Meryl Streep though. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) (laughs) so, but what do you, okay. What are you guys thinking about, uh, the book of Boba Fett? Um, what does this mean? I, I, I think it's go- is it is it is it a separate series? Is it a movie? Some people are saying it's replacing the Mandalorian season three. I one hundred percent disagree with that. This episode basically retconned. Well, this season retconned a retconned, retconned something that we thought like, oh, okay, so no, oh no, Boba Fett is Mandalorian. His father was Mandalorian. He he fought in the Mandalore civil wars, and then. Fucking Bo-Katan comes out this episode and she's like, you're not a Mandalorian. You're just, you're just a fucking, you're a clone. You're erased, you know, you, you, and, and she's right. So he's not a Mandalorian. So I don't think the season. What does being Mandalorian mean? Is it like a, it's a, like cre- a it's a creed. theology it, or is it like a bloodline? Like you that can, you part can, has always been kind of confusing to you me. You can be born a Mandalorian if you're from Mandalore, but it, it's a creed. It's become a creed now. And, okay. and but there's different, so, there's different factions of, if of Boba Ma- Fett kinda, said he was a Mandalorian. Would he be one? If he lied, but he's not, he's not, a, he's not a Mandalorian. And what he said was, and what he said to the Mandalorian after they fought together is that that's my father's armor and he fought and, and he showed him the fucking the chain code from the from the armor and that this armor belonged to his father but he he's he he has no allegiance to mandalore or the creed he's a, he just does his own fucking thing and th- there's proof of that right at the end of the episode mm-hmm. when he takes over over um java's palace and so is 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 the book of Boba Fett? Is it going to be covering like him escaping the Sarlacc pit? Is it going to be a series that kind of chronicles that and then leads up? I think that this show, no, it, wherever it goes, has to kind of like be another spin. It's a, definitely another Mandalorian spinoff, and I think it'll. I think this show could definitely find its way into being a part of the Rangers of the New Republic. If you have Cobb Vanth and uh, Cara Dune in this series and they're trying to – and I have no idea. But like they're, they're trying to clean up things on Tatooine and now you've got the criminal now, – now you've got fucking Boba Fett being like the leader of the, this criminal organization again, you know, taking over for uh, Bib Fortuna, kills Bib Fortuna. Now he's the – so it's like is, is, is Boba Fett going to cross paths with, with Cara Dune and Cobb Vanth and – and still be like this uh, villainous element that they look pretty damn villainous at the end of that fucking episode in that post credit scene when he's sitting there on that fucking on Jabba's you know that uh, on uh, Bib Fortuna's throne or whatever you know. I love that. Yeah, we, we know what you mean. Um, it totally reminded me of like a, a Frank Frazetta painting, or even like at the end of Conan the Barbarian. You know that shot of old Conan yeah. sitting oh, yeah. on the throne. It was just such a badass shot and. I wonder, you know, we had heard for years that Disney was really trying to sort of take Star Wars in the Marvel direction where you have these stories that are branching out and back in again over time. And 
I, I have to wonder if that's what this is. This is just another branch on that story where we learn more about Boba and maybe it's some flashback and some current event stuff and yeah. all of that stuff will eventually converge back with Mando's story or in different ways. Who knows? But they've been talking about possibly even what's the the young kid that played Boba Fett. Like this could be that the young kid that played Boba Fett in the in Attack of Daniel the Logan. Daniel Logan. Yeah. Him actually playing some of like the flashback scenes and things like that, getting us current with like, you know, you know, old, old Boba Fett that we've, that we've been, uh, dealing with in the Mandalorian. I, and Mandalorian season three is not being replaced with the book of Boba Fett because he, he's, oh, no not, he's not a Mandalorian and yeah. that they've retconned a retcon. <laughs> so. So is, is Boba's armor Django's armor that's been re, repainted and refurbished? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so then I got I'm going to go to a really detailed place. Where is the cutscene where he's taking his dad's head out of that helmet? <laughs> oh yeah, when well, did the, yeah. uh, and did the helmet? So the helmet survived. Yeah. Well, hold on. No, no. I'm, I I know what you're talking about. Where, whereas, yeah, where you get his head cut off. But like, it, it was it in um, it was in the Clone Wars where didn't they put a fucking like uh, a bomb in the helmet and it blew up? The mace cut his head off. Well, I know that. I know that, but I'm talking you about mean in the cartoon. In the cartoon, in the oh, Clone Wars. Oh, I, honestly, I don't remember that. And uh, see, this makes for great podcasting. Hold on. Yeah, I looked it up. Boba Fett used Django, uh, Django's helmet as a bomb against the Jedi Master Mace Windu during Kenobi. Oh, okay. I could have sworn it was in the cartoon. Hmm. Where do we go in – so season three of The Mandalorian, it's definitely going to be – I think it's going to be getting – taking over Mandalore again. And then that – I mean it's all going to lead into like the Ahsoka series and and I think Bo-Katan will be a big part of Mandal- uh, Mandalorian season three. I agree. I think she'll be a huge part. There was a lot of like foreshadowing to that I thought in this final episode. And is she a villain in season three? Uh, because she wants to get the dark saber. I think she's kind of gray. I, I think she may take things to a further place than the Mandalorian would would like. You know, you may have to kind of curb her. I mean, just like um, you know, she had that she had that conversation with the Mandalorian. You know, previous episodes talking about like you know him not taking off the helmet and how that's like you know old religion and all this shit and but then but then she's fucking doing this thing where like she's got to duel somebody for the dark (laughs) saber great point (laughs) right now somebody told me again i i didn't get too crazy with rebels but somebody told me that sabine just gave her the dark saber so there's like a continuity problem there yeah here's the thing that didn't work out for him so a lot of people are saying that's it didn't work out, and so because it you weren't that's not the way to get it. That's not the way to get the dark saber. It has to you have to win it in battle. So that's what I've that's what I've been oh, reading into. Oh, it. that's why she wasn't able to keep it in the first place is because she didn't get it the right way. I see. I yeah. see. That's what people are saying and speculating. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I agree with you though that it's. The Boba Fett stuff is going to sit on its own, but eventually collide with the Mandalorian. And I think that would be really cool if we make Fett more of a bad guy and then we get that rematch between the two characters. That, that'll that be very exciting well, to see Mandalorian and Fett, you know, yeah. one-time allies. 
going at each other's throats again because Fett's a criminal mastermind of Tatooine. Well, and I I know that um, Fennec would have no problem going up against the Mandalorian again either. I mean, if you go back and watch the episode where, you know, they team up when Grogu's on the, you know, uh, on the on the Jedi stone, the seeing stone, I believe is what they call it. There's a there's a moment where she's basically like, you know, like, so, yeah, we're working together now. And she looks at the Mandalorian like, I've got to do this because, you know, I don't want to like she wants to. Like, You're my ride. <laughs> I have to. Well, yeah. And well, and Boba Fett was the one that rescued her out in the desert after she was left to die. Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. was because of the Mandalorian. And she's, st- I think she still harbors this fucking anger towards him. So, yeah, a lot of, I, I've been really enjoying like the memes of like, you know, Boba Fett <laughs> passing Luke's X-Wing as he's flying away. <laughs> <laughs> Luke's, Luke's flying away with Grogu in, in the X-Wing as Boba Fett's coming back to pick up Fennec. And I've really been enjoying those memes. They use the Umbrella Academy one, so it's really funny. But man, I can't, I can't wait for season three, December twenty fifth. So we can just have two shows going at the same time, since Mandalorian is uh, Mandalorian is Christmas Day, and then the Book of Boba Fett's also in December. Oh yeah, I'm sure that they plan to kind of have the, the the shows like interlope like that. It'll be I'm nice not having on just one days. Disney show. Yeah, I bet different days. They can get you for Wednesday and Friday. I don't know though. Disney seems to just drop everything on Friday. I don't know that they've ever dropped anything not on a Friday. It's like every Friday you get their email with all the new stuff they put out that day. Mm-hmm. So that that's a very good question. Yeah, yeah. Netflix is Netflix drops things every day, but like their big stuff, they always drop on Friday. The yeah. big Netflix uh, releases, you know, always drop on Friday. HBO Max is Thursday. They, they're they big on Thursday. Yeah, and sometimes they'll have stuff on Tuesday, it seems, too. Huh. They kind of seem all over the place. Yeah. You would think that they're, yeah, I mean, honestly, they're they're trying to keep people subscribed. So they want to fill up as many weeks as they can. And we know that WandaVision will probably take us from January to, I would guess, March or so. And then, uh, you know, Black Widow, we know is going to be in theaters. I think there's still a chance we get Black Widow on Disney Plus. It might not be a big chance, but I think there's a chance. And uh, where do we go from there? I mean, what fills up the rest of the year? Do we have months and months again with no new content on Disney I, Plus? Or we're just- Falcon and Winter Soldier is right after Wanda, uh, uh, basically. That's right. Well, and we're yeah. also getting Loki in 2021. So that might be it. I mean, if you think of all the weeks, we might be kind of just waiting with a lot of good Marvel content until we get the new Star Wars content. And that's how they're going to keep all the subscriptions coming in. Oh, and then we're going to have the Bad Batch. Yep. And we're going to have the Cassian Andor stuff. I forgot about Andor. So I don't know. And here's the thing. I'm going to bring this up. And I know, like, everybody after, like, the Disney Investors Day was kind of like, you know, fucking – you know, Warner Brothers had like their big announcement and, and then Disney laid their dick out on the table and said, ah, look at this. I, I think that those are huge announcements that Disney had, but I think like overall, like Netflix and HBO Max have just like a wider variety of stuff. I, 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 I feel like they've like Disney has the Marvel and Star Wars fans. They've got them. They're, we're locked in. We're not going anywhere. We're sticking around for that stuff. But man, I, I don't, <sighs> 
other than that, like, I don't think that I don't, I, I, I think it's going to be hard to compete with like the likes of, I still think it's going to be hard to compete with Netflix. And, and I know that Disney has had a ton of subscribers. They blew their five year projection out of the water. HBO max is not as, you know, it's, it's not been uh, as easy for them. Uh, but even with this announcement, they had like, you know, four to 5 million more subscribers. But, um, I, you know, I, I still think that, I still think that Netflix definitely is, Netflix and HBO Max are still in the game here. And I think that once these, uh, Game of Thrones spinoffs start coming out, I think that's going to be huge for them. And no matter what you think about Game of Thrones and how it ended and stuff like that, Game of Thrones is still fucking popular. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. HBO Max is, you know, you probably don't remember this, Brian, but I made a bet that HBO Max wouldn't survive, which I immediately regret because that's a, a superb streaming service. It is, yeah. It's it's excellent. Um, the other thing about Disney Plus to keep in mind, there's something about Star Wars and Marvel content that makes it incredibly rewatchable. And, you know, in, in my house, my I have one particular kid. He's really into Star Wars, and he – he watches the original trilogy and Mando over and over yeah. and over again. And the only way you can get Mando, there's no Blu-ray. There's no, to my knowledge, you can't get it on Apple TV. You can't buy the episodes. So I'm going to keep giving Disney my seven bucks a month just to give my kid the ability to watch Mando over and over again for the next year. Mm-hmm. It sounds nuts, but I'll gladly do that. No, you're not, you're not wrong. I'm just saying like for – for the adult audience, I can never get rid of Netflix. There's just, there's no way I could get rid of Netflix. If, and honestly, if I was forced at gunpoint to get rid of Netflix or, or, or Disney Plus, I would get rid of Disney Plus because they just have a wider variety. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I mean, I love Disney and I love Star Wars, but man, like Netflix just has like this, a, a this all everything from like adult content down to like the kids stuff, the animation stuff. They're they're not quite there with like that kind of stuff on the level of Disney with the animation and everything. But man, they're 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 dipping their toes into so many things, horror movies, and they're also got you know. Hopefully, we'll start to see some of the the Miller World comic book stuff come to life with you know Jupiter's Legacy and stuff like that. Hopefully, we'll start getting these things. And you know, I can't do I can't do it without the Umbrella Academy. I just can't do, I've got to have my umbrella Academy and you know, like Netflix was the one when the pandemic started that gave us the tiger King and you know, it, it's all this Netflix just has this amazing variety of stuff. It's adult comment, uh, adult content all the way down to kids. I just can't, it's just a plethora of all this shit, different genres. You get the, you get the Witcher. We're getting a Conan series, you know, uh, all this stuff. And I just don't think, Disney is, I mean, they have made their mark and they've been around so long. You can't, you can't stop them. Now they got the Fox stuff too. They're, they're unstoppable. But man, just for me as a consumer, I can't do without, I can't do without Netflix now. I think, and they just been, you know, we're going to talk about like that new movie, Ma Rainey's, um, Black Bottom. Like that's, you're not going to get stuff like that on Disney. You're not going to get Roma on Disney. You're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get all this stuff on Disney. Yeah. If I could only have one streaming service, it's probably Netflix. You're right. Just because for everything you said, their catalog is just so vast. The other thing, and I'm not, I'm not condoning this. I think Disney plus because their content is fewer and further between, but very impactful. They're going to have much more problems with uh, piracy than Netflix will have. Because oh, yeah. If, 
if, if you can pirate Mando and I'm not, again, I'm not condoning this behavior. So Disney, please do not to, don't send lawyers after handy Greg, <laughs> but it, if you can pirate Mando, you have no reason to subscribe to Disney plus let's be honest right now, right now, I mean, WandaVision, yeah. that's it. You know, you can't pirate Netflix enough to not need Netflix. It's just not possible. No, and it's pretty easy to pirate those Disney Plus shows because for a while it was only in the U.S. that we had Disney Plus while Mando Season 1 was airing. And believe me, everyone else was watching it, too. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah, that, any final thoughts on uh, The Mandalorian Chapter 16? Oh, my God, we got to wait over a year now for anything Mandalorian. Yeah, on Christmas. That's a wild release day. Yeah, I, I got to ask you guys one question: Was that Mark Hamill's real voice? Yes, it sounds like it was. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Was. How, yeah. Now, how do you think? Like, look, Mark Hamill's aged, and he, to my knowledge, I believe he's a smoker. His voice has changed. How did they make that voice sound? That sounded like Mark Hamill circa 1983. How the hell did they do that? I mean, he's a voice actor. He's a voice actor too. Maybe I don't know. It's like I, I always wondered like how they were going to do when they did the animated Batman 66 stuff. I was like, oh my god, how are you going to have Burt Ward sound like? robin from that show now that he's you know older and man he said he still sounded like young robin burt ward it was it was insane he did that was a blast i don't know i don't know how he did it i don't know how they did it if they did something with his with his voice i don't know man but i was impressed yeah, they're doing another series of, uh, what is it called, Gallery. It'll be interesting to see how much of that they delve into. Yeah. Oh, I would love it if they peel back the curtain on Mark Hamill. And my God, did they do a great job of keeping that secret, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the most amazing. I mean, that's kind of one of Mando's key to success, I think, is Baby you know, Yoda. First the Baby Yoda stuff yeah. and now the Mark Hamill stuff. And yeah. they've just done such a, such a great job of keeping it under the lid. I guess because you can't send the drones into that studio that they use to film all the special effects. You know, it's not outdoor filming at all. Right. Yeah. 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 I, and I've heard that they've already been filming the, the Boba Fett series. Like we've heard like from, you know, some scoopers and things like that, that they've been filming something Star Wars, not in, not in London, but, uh, they've been filming something. And I think that that's the, that's the Boba Fett series they've been filming. Yeah, it, it was crazy to just have one more announcement for one more show after the week that was Investor's Day. Yeah, I I just kept it on. I kept the episode on because they didn't show the Mandalorian artwork at the end. I just yeah, kept, the music was different. There yeah. was no sketch artwork. It, it did kind of tip you off in those changes that it might be worth staying tuned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got to give you props, Brian. You're, the Pop Culture Leftovers Facebook feed is the only reason why I knew there was a post credit scene. Oh. And, and I, w- I was not spoiled at all. But had you not posted that, I would not have had a clue. Yeah, I was so <laughs> I was so emotionally affected by the episode that I just couldn't. It was almost like I couldn't move. I just kept it on and kept listening to the music and let it run the, all the way through because it not only is it like it was so emotional, but it was also like they weren't showing the 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 pictures and and I was just kind of like, "Oh my god, no more Mandalorian for a year." Wow, that was insane. And then all of a sudden like I see the two sons and I'm like, "What the f- fuck is going on and uh then we see uh fucking and you know you know bib fortuna with uh <laughs> double size 
plus size Bib Fortuna. I, I love that he got fat too. That's the best part that Bib got fat. Yeah, that was funny. Did any of you think that there was going to be some rancor action? I kind of had that tinge when I was I, watching it. I thought Boba was going to toss him into the pit, and maybe they got a, a new rancor. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> and Salacious Crumb totally missing. We don't get to. Well, we don't know if C three PO killed him. I think last we saw he got his ass zapped, but no Salacious Crumb there either. That's true. Yeah. Oh my God! Fantastic, fantastic season. I, I think it's. I think it was better in season one. Hmm, that's tough. I think I like season one more. Yeah, I'm a bigger fan of season two. I just think the emotional impact and and uh, with all the things that I was super worried about with them pulling in Ahsoka and and all these different storylines from Rebels and the Clone Wars that it was just a fucking masterpiece from Filoni and Favreau this season and and uh my hat's off to Peyton Reed for finally doing something good yeah wow two something goods right <laughs> he directed two of these episodes two of these episodes so he did something actually not good he did something great uh, <laughs> so you know like because I those Ant-Man movies are fine they're just not my favorite of the Marvel movies and to see him step up and do some fantastic uh work here with the with the Star Wars franchise was pretty awesome so, guys, um, any last final thoughts? I, I hope hashtag that's my Luke is trending on Twitter now. I have not looked, but it deserves to be trending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your mind, that, that, that whole fight sequence is just amazing, Jay. And how- that's not what I'm groaning at. I'm groaning at his complete disregard for from what happened to Luke between then and The Last Jedi. Honestly, like there's, you know, I love Ryan Johnson. I still love that movie, but there's, there's things about The Last Jedi that even I can't, man, there's, there, there are things with Luke and, and stuff like that, that <laughs> years later, I'm kind of like, I don't know, man. I wish, I wish things would have kind of went down a little bit differently and, uh, everything with that fuck. Oh God, that fucking casino planet can eat a dick. Oh yeah. I don't defend <laughs> the space horses. <laughs> the fucking Canto bite, fucking Canto bit, man. It fucking <laughs> Canto bite was bad. Yeah. Canto bite sucked. Yeah. But it, it was very cool seeing a, a five years removed from return of the Jedi Luke, who I would expect to be a different Luke than a 30 years removed from return of the Jedi Luke. So they're, they're both my Luke Skywalker. Greg. We still don't know if it's three, four or five years removed. They haven't nailed that down. Like the initial reports were that it was five years, but Favreau won't go on record now and say where this is, is in the timeline. I think they've been very secretive for the past, you know, year or so as to when this takes place in the timeline yeah probably for very smart reasons too yeah to really uncover yeah Yeah. all right let's take a uh melissa i'm so glad you're watching the mandalorian i was shocked i I didn't even think that this was a show that that was on your radar (laughs) i know that's like the theme of my life this week is everybody finding out that i actually do watch mando (laughs) i just um I'm not like steeped in Star Wars lore, although I do like Star Wars. So it's not that you guys aren't like this at all. And most of the people that I would talk about Star Wars with aren't like this. But it, there does, there is something a little bit gatekeepy about Star Wars that keeps me from like tweeting about it. If that makes sense. Yeah, you just don't want to be fucking, you don't want to be mansplained by a bunch of fucking Star Wars dorks. 
Well, that, and it's like, I could be like, oh my God, Luke Skywalker, this is so cool. And people would be like, well, did you know like XYZ 100 things? And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Surfer fans have a little, they have more of an edge than like Marvel fans do. I'm going to piss people off. But I don't find, I don't think Star Wars fans are as welcoming as Marvel fans. Yeah, I don't think no. that that is um, a revolution or a revelation that you are. Yeah, like you know, speaking right now, I think that that's kind of a known thing. Yeah, if somebody's like, "Oh, hey, I just discovered like Marvel superheroes." Oh, well, like, great. What do you read? Like, it, check out this series. Check out that. If someone's like, "Oh, I just started getting into Star Wars," it's like, "Fuck you, noob. Get out of here." <laughs> and I think that I liked the second season of Mandalorian, but it it was more kind of steeped in Star Wars lore than the first season was. So it's not that it was like harder to get into, but it is kind of harder to talk about because I'm more aware of the things that I don't know. Or that I don't have context for. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to admit, makes perfect I've sense. seen all of the Clone Wars because it just, it's too much of a kid show for me. And I get that it gets better than, you know, but I haven't watched all that shit. It's right. just a lot. It's it, a lot of Star Wars. It's a lot of Star Wars. <laughs> and then the comic books and yeah, it's a lot of stuff. And like I got, I did my homework. I got very into Star Wars for The Rise of Skywalker. And then I went to the theater and I saw it and I was like. Um, <sighs> yeah. I'm gonna go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. Rise of Skywalker does not age well. That's my only Star Wars I've ever seen in the theater. Like, what a bummer for me. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Yeah. No. Oh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and do some good pop, bad pop. Awesome. Okay. Hi. I sound like Morgan Freeman. I bet most of you do some online shopping with Amazon. It's just so easy. I myself logged in today to buy adult diapers. No, I'm not embarrassed. I have zero shame. And I really don't give a fuck what you think. I'm at that age. You'll get here too one day. And don't think that you won't, you naive asshat. One day you too will be just like Jamie Lee Curtis and shitting your body weight and Dan and yogurt, and the next thing you know, you'll be on Amazon ordering adult diapers saying, holy shit, that freckled face fucker was right. Anyway, the whole point of this is to tell you that popcultureleftovers.com has an Amazon shopping link. What that means is when you click on the link from their website, it helps the show. It doesn't charge you extra at all. You just shop like you regularly would, and Amazon takes care of the rest. It's easy and convenient. Just like these diapers. I literally blew up this diaper while recording this ad. Hashtag truth. Hey, welcome back. Uh, we're going to be jumping into Good Pop, Bad Pop. Here's that fucking bumper boom. It's time for more leftover reviews with Good Pop. Bad Pop! Alright, Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things in the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things, and if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. Jake, I was fancy as fuck this week with my brioche hot dog buns. Oh, it sounds like you were super fancy. I'm surprised you didn't put Grey Poupon on those. Dude, it, 
you fucking you would be the king of the trailer park if you had the brioche hot dog buns. They'd look at you like, what the f- look at look at money bags over there, Mister Fancy Pants. Look at look at look at you and your double wide and your brioche buns. <laughs> Uh, I was I always thought hot dogs were sandwiches. Is that not the case? Yeah, it's, it's like, I think that's like a square rectangle situation. I mean, like a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle isn't a square. It's more like a, it's more like a uh, like a hoagie thing, wouldn't it? Well, like aren't hoagie ho- sandwiches? Sandwich. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hoagie sandwich, yeah. It's like a tiny submarine sub sandwich. Hot, I don't, hot dogs are just hot dogs. They're not sandwiches, though. I have an official answer. Would you like to hear it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Official. Okay. According to Merriam-Webster, a sandwich is two or more slices of bread or a split roll having a filling in between. By that definition, hot dogs seem to qualify as sandwiches. Count it. Yeah, there you I agree. Go. Oh, man. Ah, color my face red. I am so... Oh, boy. I feel stupid. <laughs> oh. Oh. This, this, this website does acknowledge that there is a community that does not believe... This is very much like the Luke Skywalker split. There, <laughs> there is a community that does not believe that the hot dog is a legit sandwich so i know it's like i'm just gonna embrace that conflict what's the venn diagram of those people and flat earthers you know what i mean those those (laughs) (laughs) anyway watch the uh nobody's nobody's watched this nobody's watched this unless you're fucking like you know over the overseas maybe in europe or australia because it was on Sky Network, and I think it was on like an Australian network. It's a series called Upright. It stars Tim Minchin and Millie Alcock. It's two misfits thrown together by chance in the middle of the Australian desert, forge, forge bonds in a quest to transport a precious piano from one side of the country to the other. And I saw this on – it's on Sundance TV, and I got the AMC Plus. I, I did away with uh, – I did away with uh, Shudder because Shudder's six ninety nine now. Or five ninety nine, and I could get this for what is it seven ninety nine a month? And I get Shutter, I get Sundance now, I get AMC, and I get a lot of the AMC stuff. I get it days early when they drop. So the new Walking Dead's that come out, and you got to watch wait until Sunday. I can watch them on Thursday, and I love this AMC Plus app because it's got so. This is where I watch that uh, David Tennant show, Deaths, and uh, now I watch this new show called Upright, and it's just a limited series. What ran for one season. But it, it premiered on the Sundance TV network and I've, oh my God, I fucking, this is one of the best shows I've seen all year. Nobody's talking about it. And unless you have Sundance TV or the AMC Plus app, you're not going to be able to watch this one. I'm not going to talk about it too much because I know most of our listeners don't have this. Man, I, if you get a chance to watch this or if you can do a free trial of AMC Plus, you know, watch this. It was absolutely fantastic. I loved this so much. This is my first exposure to, uh, to, to Tim Minchin. And this guy is super talented, uh, wrote this story. And basically he's, uh, on his way, uh, to see family that he hasn't seen in years that we don't know what, why he hasn't spent time with his, his family and, and, uh, you find out that his mother's dying of cancer and uh, he he wants to be there before she passes and um, he won't fly there. He's driving there. And the reason he's driving there is he's, is he's bringing the family piano. He wants to bring it home. And um, 
man, it, he runs and gets into a car accident with this young girl and they end up forming this really strange bond and going on a road trip to get him to Perth to, to see his mother. And so many things happen throughout this. I was just blown away by this fucking series. It is so good and so emotional. And at the end of it, I was just like, I am so glad I watched that. So if you get a chance, it's called Upright. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's the highest of Tupperwares. Really excited about this review because I have had this show on my list. Um, Probably since it came out, but I can't remember what made me put it on the list. Mm -hmm. Like when I hear people at random talk about like shows or I hear like an actor say that they're excited about something, I'll just write it down and I don't write any context. So I have no idea why I wanted to watch the show in the first place. But now that you are giving it such a positive review, it's like moving higher on the list. Um, but also, I don't know if you watched Californication, but Tim Menchin plays Atticus Fetch in that show, <laughs> which is kind of a memorable character, at least for me. So that's kind of funny. But yeah, I'm super excited that the show ended up being like really amazing because it's been on my list forever. <laughs> I had no idea why. You've got to watch it. If you can get a free trial for uh, AMC Plus or if you get a free trial for Sundance TV, this is a must watch. This is a must watch. It is it's incredible. I loved it. This, uh, this young girl, Millie Alcock, um, she is so good. She is, I, I think she could be huge here in the States if, uh, if they gave her some roles. I think that she's super talented. Tim mentioned just super talented. I loved this show. I loved it. Absolute Tupperware, the highest of Tupperwares. I wanted to, re- the reason I had you on this episode, Melissa, was because I wanted to be able to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> on a show called The Expanse uh, and be able to I wanted to get my my goal was to get caught up and watch The Expanse and uh, all five se- uh, all four seasons and catch up to f- get ready for season 5 and watch season 5 and it was a I finished the first season. I have not it was a, it was a huge task, it was a huge undertaking. I think you did great. Yeah, I and here's the thing. I'm going to let me let me explain this. I've gotten on previous episodes. I did not even know how wrong I was. I said like, oh, yeah, I watched the first few episodes of The Expanse, not realizing that I had not watched any episodes and that the show that I was confusing with The Expanse was the show Helix. Oh, Oh, wow. (laughs) So when I started watching this and. Thomas James shows up in the series and his hat and his hat. I was like, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Jane. How Brian, you've been, you've been saying (laughs) that you watched the first few episodes of the expanse when you've actually watched the first few episodes of sci-fi's helix. And I felt like such, I felt like such a dummy pants. And, um, I, and, and, uh, 
Oh my God. This, th- you're talking about just insane. And I know Steve from Scenic Cast, spoiler, Steve was on here before and he kind of compared it to Game of Thrones and the world building there. And then like mm-hmm. this is in the future and, and like the, he is not wrong. This is based on a book, the world building in this and just like the different uh, groups of people, humans. I mean, you've got settlements on Mars and these people have been separated from people on Earth for so long that they're, they're basically looked at as Martians. They have a different way of thinking. And then you have a whole other like uh, race of humans that have been living on the belt and have not had like a proper gravitational pull. And the people on the belt are providing resources for the people at Mars and they're looked down upon. And oh my God, I am just like, just blown away by mm-hmm. the mystery and the world building and the acting on this show. That first season's an absolute oh, I'm t- so thrilled. Oh, it's so good. And I can't wait to get back <laughs> and continue and jump into season two. And man, does it get pretty graphic and gory when it needs to. And um the the one character, I can't remember his name right now, but like the one character, I want to call him like Space John Snow. Like the one you know what I'm t- you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the good old boy? Yeah, the good old boy. <laughs> it's a uh, James Holden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holden, 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 Holden. Yep. Yeah, he was, but I love this show. Did they draw, did Amazon, when they picked this up now, they picked it up for the past two seasons now, is that correct? Yeah, so, um, this aired for three seasons before being canceled by sci-fi. And then as the story goes, Jeff Bezos is a fan of the expanse. So he picked it up for Amazon. So they aired season four. Um, they did that in one drop, so it was a full binge. And then season five is what's airing right now, and they're doing the quote unquote Amazon model. Although they dropped HBO, three, correct? Yep. HBO yeah. and FX have done this too. They drop three episodes at once, and then it goes weekly after that. So yeah, and then Amazon actually um, came out and announced that next season, season six, will be its last season of the show. Uh, but I do want to say not to fear because there are three more books. So there's seven, eight, nine books. Um, each set of three books kind of functions as a trilogy of sorts. So there is some resolution to season six that I think that fans are expecting. And then there will be, you know, the last three books and an opportunity to come back for like TV or like a movie for the last, you know, quote unquote trilogy installment. So uh, I think it's fair to compare this show to Game of Thrones because yeah. it is like a political and emotional drama, uh, but it won't have the like trying to end Game of Thrones issue that we saw over at HBO. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think it is for me. It's filling that uh, Game of Thrones void. And oh uh, man, yeah, because it takes all these characters and it ties them into. It, like, takes these disparate characters and ties them into, like, complex storylines that have emotional resonance for every single character. And they weave these threads and they keep pulling them through multiple seasons and multiple storylines. And the payoffs just keep coming and coming. I know you've only seen one season, so I won't spoil anything. Mm -hmm. But the characters that you're learning about in season one are still kind of coming to fruition in seasons four and five. And it's just like really incredible. They, they keep the steam in the way that uh, I think that as much as I love game of Thrones, I don't necessarily think that it did as successfully. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm telling you, long. like, uh, just watching how this first season, how everything kind of like came together at the end of the season where all these storylines I've been watching, they all kind of come together. And I was just like, oh my God, this is just, this is really good. This is really, really good. And it, it's the same thing with Game of Thrones. You're following all these separate characters and then they all kind of come together. I, I, I was, I've been blown away by this, uh, series. I've been, so I, there, there, there's questions that you ask. Like I was watching an episode and I was like, oh, how, how long do people live in the future? You know, and they're like the very next episode, they're talking about how, you know, like humans live like an average of 120 years. And I'm like, oh my God, they're going there. They're doing the science shit. <laughs> it's so cool. I love it. I fucking, I absolutely love it. Um, so I'm really digging the expanse. I can't wait to get back to it. Um, I'm going to be watching a lot of it this week, which is great because I don't have to, the next week's show is basically Wonder Woman. So all I have to do is just wait for Wonder Woman to come out in the interim. I am just going to be watching a fuck ton of the expanse. So, so see, so uh, season five, three episodes or four episodes have come out. Three episodes, yeah, and I know that like people have um, feelings about this release model, but I'm getting like more and more into uh, weekly release TV, so I'm pretty thrilled about the way that The Expanse is doing this. Um, the same way that The Boys did it, yeah. uh, both of those shows are shows that I want to like let marinate and be able to have discussions, uh, which is kind of harder to do when every episode drops at once because you never know where someone is in the show. You don't want to get spoiled, all that crap. Um, yeah, I've seen the first three seasons of episodes, or of or I've seen the first three episodes of season five, excuse me. Um, and I've read the first five books, so I know kind of what this season is going to be about, but I don't know anything further. I obviously... If I keep talking about season five, I won't spoil anything for any anyone, especially because I wouldn't want to spoil, you know, seasons two, three and four for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you stop reading the books on purpose because of the TV show? It's mostly just because of time. Um, the books are dense. I listened to the audiobook. It was about 16 hours. Um, yeah, and it's mostly just that I kind of tentatively planned on being book caught up before season five dropped, but that just didn't happen. So when I found out that season five was dropping on December 16th, I was like, okay, I'm going to start the audiobook on December 1st. I will listen to a little bit more than an hour every single day and I will be ready. I will have my homework done. <laughs> I also rewatched seasons three and four <laughs> before season five dropped. It's always good to get those refreshers in. I'm telling you, I forget. Like I had to do that with the boys. I had to watch season one over again before season two came out. I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. And I know you love umbrella Academy. I, I will always I, do that with umbrella. Academy I did that as well. I love that show so much. And there's just like so many like little details that sometimes come to fruition later. Mm -hmm. And it's really rewarding when you're like, I remember that. <laughs> It's fucking crazy. That Umbrella Academy. What that Gerard Way. Jesus Christ, the imagination on that guy. And it, <laughs> the music, it, great. The yeah, comics, great. <laughs> it's incredible. It's just incredible. I, so I can't wait to get it caught up on the expanse. I'm sorry that we can't talk about it further because it was a huge undertaking for me to think that yeah, I could fucking do it. Yeah, it was a really it. ambitious project. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did it before. I did it before. I remember I surprised uh, Jake and uh, Frank years ago when I watched uh, – three seasons of uh, Game of Thrones in like a week. 
Oh my god! Yeah, I, I was blown away. We didn't find out until recording the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, because like the, every every fucking season, these guys are talking about this show. I had watched the first season, and I was like, I gotta get caught up on this shit. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did, even though it didn't turn out quite the way that everybody wanted it to at the end, for the most part. But. You know, I'm glad that I that I was part of that conversation. But uh, yeah, like it or loathe it, the final season was definitely an event. Yeah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Did anybody get a chance to watch any of Your Honor on Showtime? I did. I did. Yeah, I saw the first episode. I watched the first two episodes. This is uh, Brian Cranston stars as a judge confronting his convictions when his son is involved in a hit and run that embroils an organized crime family. He faces impossible choices and discovers how far a father will go to save his son's life. And um, it's weird seeing a show with Brian Cranston playing a character that has a respectable position that goes down a dark path. I've never, never would have thought that Brian Cranston would ever take on a show like this. Uh, anyway, this one stars, like I said, Brian Cranston and the great Michael Stuhlbarg. I think this guy is so underrated. But man, this guy is a fucking force. I, Dude, I, this is wild. Like, I had never seen Michael Stuhlberg outside of Call Me By Your Name. Really? And oh, then to see him in this show, I'm uh, like, okay, oh, you were perfect and precious in Call Me By Your Name. And now you are <laughs> something yeah. completely different. Uh, did, did you did you watch the, uh, what was the movie? The fucking, uh, The Lady Falls in Love with the Merman. Oh, the, yeah, the water. I, the, I didn't love that movie. Oh, I loved it. Um, I kind of forget that Michael Stuhlberg was even in that. Oh, I loved him in that movie. Uh, what was it called? Touch of Water. Um, water. The Shape of Water. Shape of Water. <laughs> Oscar winning. Oscar winning. I can't even think of the fucking name. Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> anyway, I love that fucking. I love Michael Stuhlberg. I think the guy is fucking amazing. One of the most underrated character actors, and it's nice to see them fucking in a series like this also want to point out for uh fans of defiance yeah the short-lived three-season sci-fi show tony curran is in this show love tony curran speaking of short-lived sci-fi shows benjamin wadsworth is in this the star of deadly class <laughs> oh god yeah fucking deadly class i love that show fuck you, you sci-fi Fuck you. <laughs> canceled the expanse, canceled Deadly Clash. Yeah. <laughs> the so, magicians just ended. Sci-fi can eat a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking assholes. Anyway, um yeah, this this uh this show basically you've got uh uh two young two young men. Um one one boy is going out to visit I guess the site of where his mother uh died. Maybe I think the year before, and um, another boy, um, Michael Stuhlbarg's kid is fucking. He got his birthday gift, and it's this this motorcycle, and their paths cross very briefly when the one kid hits the other kid, and he's running away from a. He's running away after being chased in this neighborhood from um from like a like a street gang or something right, we'll find out more i'm sure in future episodes but he hits this kid on his motorcycle and the kid's fucking dying in his arms and shit and it's it's insane it's fucking insane the kid panics leaves the scene 
cleans up after the cleans up the blood and all this shit starts talking to his dad his dad's a judge and his dad is like okay we're gonna we're gonna go down to the police station we're gonna talk to them about this and and we'll we'll, we'll take care of everything looks and sees that the who he knows is the father of this boy that died because he sees the father and the mother crying and it's michael stuhlbarg's character and he's the fucking crime leader of this crime family in the city and he knows that if he fucking comes forward and says that it was his son that did the hit and run that his son's got a fucking hit on him he's his son's dad he's he's basically sentenced his son to a um to death here and it's this show i don't know i fucking i was blown i was blown away by this fucking show and how intense it was limited limited series i think it's just going to be one season but uh, what did you guys think about this? What did you think, Melissa? Yeah, I'm only going to give the show a taste it um, because, well, so far, not everything is aired, but I kind of hate the direction that the story is taking with episode two with um, the person that they have kind of positioned to take the fall for this um like manslaughter, I guess we could call it, because there's a lot of real world implications in regards to the criminal justice system that I would like to see addressed in the show, but I don't know if it's going to go that direction. So if it doesn't, I will be I I will think that this is a little bit of a waste. I think it's bringing it to light, though. I think it's doing it in just like kind of like a very. Kind of yeah, like, but I wanted to say something about it, which maybe me asking kind of it's too saying much, something to this me. This is just TV. It's saying something know? to me right now. Like this is fucking wrong. Yeah, this is fucking yeah, wrong. But it's like I, in my opinion, not to argue with you, but like you know it's wrong, so you're saying it's wrong when you're seeing it. But the show itself hasn't said that yet. Yeah, well, I'm going to give the show a little bit of time to stretch its legs here. And no matter which way it goes, at the end of the day, I don't think that the show is portraying that this is okay behavior and okay, that the justice system is okay for doing this. Sometimes justice is not served, sadly. Just, yeah, 100%. I will agree with that. And not everything is always kind of fucking like wrapped up in a, in a little bow. And it doesn't even matter if like things turn out good for this kid by the end of the day, because the traumatic implications that it's going to have on him going forward it's fucked up it's fucked up oh my god i know like the last scene of the second episode with him just like standing there having like witness i'm like you have been through so much child and you can't even tell a therapist about it because it's all illegal yeah yeah greg you watched the first episode what'd you think yeah, I'd give it a high taste. It. I mean, I I like how the plot unfolded in the first episode. You know, you, you gave a really good synopsis. I thought, you know, in essence, you start to sort of get introduced to this judge. You see that he's of exceptional moral high character. He basically single handedly dismantles a corrupt police uh, testimony. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you know you're introduced to this other character who then you find out is his son. You see these two characters converge in this tragedy. Uh, you find out that he's a son. And again, you see evidence kind of get moved in a way that, again, I'm only through one episode, but I assume that bloody rag under his son's bed is going to come back to haunt him at some point. Uh, um, I, I liked it a lot. I, again, high tasted. I have to admit that I have a little bit of a bias because I, I tend to strongly dislike legal drama. You know, lawyer shows, cop shows and doctor shows. I just I can't stand. I just feel like it's all been said and done. But this is clearly not that. 
so I enjoyed it. I'll, I'll definitely check out episode two, and it just depends on whether or not I continue my Showtime uh, subscription to yeah. see whether I go further. Yeah. Well, I, Shameless season eleven, final season's airing. Well, so it's a good time to have Showtime. Well, yeah, I've never seen Shameless. I saw the commercial. We're eventually going to yeah. get fucking the Halo series on there too. The fucking yeah, Good Lord Bird's on there. That's worth checking out. Good Lord Bird, yeah, uh, and then you know Pablo Schreiber going to be starring in the uh, in the Halo series eventually. Eventually. I mean, if I can't have him in American Gods, I will watch this Halo series. Yeah, yeah, I got to get caught up on American Gods season three, January tenth. I can't wait. I, I'm gonna get. That's gonna be the next thing. I'm gonna be watching that in the Expanse this week. American Gods. Shadow I can't Moon. believe American Gods is like actually having a season three. I know at stars. I digress. I can't believe. <laughs> I can't believe it. Like you look at all their other fucking programming, and it's just like. And then they've got American Gods. You know, it's <laughs> they cr- just keep making it. They've got that that power show, which I hear is really good. They got that P Valley. I don't know. I watched like a few episodes, and it's all right. And then uh, this fucking. Then they got American Gods. It's fucking nuts. I'm digging. I'm I'm loving Your Honor. I I love. I'm a sucker. I'm going to give it a Tupperware. I fucking love it. I love Brian Cranston. I love Michael Stuhlbarg. Give me more Tony Curran, though. I love him. I think he's so fucking great. Alice in Borderland on Netflix. Uh, this is one I wanted to talk about last week. Last week, whole show got – this whole show got shuffled, Jake, because of that Disney Investor Day. I had a whole other show planned. For that yeah, week. I don't think we ever expected there to be so much material that we wouldn't just be able to cover in our news section. I I agree, and it just that that that, that whole Disney Investor Day at the end of the day it became episode three fifty nine, and I had to like there's stuff I had to put on the back burner, and this is one of them. Alice in Borderland. Uh, this came out on Netflix. Ari Sue is a man without much money or luck. He is unemployed currently as well. Out of the blue, a blinding light engulfs him. One day in whose aftermath the city of Tokyo has lost all of its inhabitants, save Arisu, Arisu, excuse me, and two friends. This is a dangerous and potentially fatal game of survival now in which they are forced to take part. So did who who else got to watch any of this show? I watched um, the first two. Yeah, I'm one episode not. in. What's that? What's that, Melissa? I didn't see any of this. Um, I'll start off, because I, I, I watched... Actually, I'll, I'll listen to you guys. I watched the entire fucking series the past two weeks. I watched the, I watched the entire series. This was um, originally a Japanese suspense manga series that was written and illustrated by Hiro Aso. And um, I definitely felt like it did feel like it was kind of like manga, manga inspired. It looks like they did the story a little bit differently because we are looking at a live action show here. This is not animation at all. So this is not an animated show. But you, it starts off with like these three close friends, you know, and you've, you've got one who's like living at home playing video games all the time. Very smart, has a lot of potential. The other one of the friends is like, you know, working an office job and the other friend works at a bar and, and I'm, but they're, but they've all, as different as their lives are, they're all really good friends and, they're running around the streets of Tokyo having a great time. Uh, they cause a traffic jam. And then to get out of this, they run through like the subway and they, they hide in a, in a, in a bathroom stall. Things get really quiet. There's all this bustling, all this noise because we're in, we're in Tokyo and it's very noisy and it's like this bustling city and all of a sudden it gets very quiet. And as they leave the bathroom stall, 
everyone in Tokyo is gone. It's a, it's, it's, there's nothing. There's no one. And, and they don't know what's going on. They, is it aliens? What's going on? What's going on here? They are then later on that evening invited to a game that they all have to partake in. And it's, it's like these games you find out it's, they're life or death. And if you try to leave the game, you see a laser just go through their head and it fucking kills them. And they have to play these games. And the first game is a maze that they have to get through. And each game is basically set up with a different difficulty level and it's all playing card based. So like if you're, it can be like a, you know, like a three of clubs and each suit has a different meaning for what kind of game you're going to play. The club is like a team game. If you're in a game that is spades, it's physical. If it's a heart, it's a, it's an emotional game where you're like basically stabbing those who are close to you in the game. It's, and you're exposing like emotions and feelings and things like that. It's a very personal game. Um, and what, what's the other one that I'm trying to think of like the other, fucking uh diamond what is what is diamond what does it do isn't that like the mental or something diamond is explain them all in the second yeah i think diamond is like the mental game so yeah it's a like kind of like a mental challenge and the higher number suit the more the difficulty level rises and so the first game that they're introduced to is like a maze that they have to get through. And if they, they have two doors that they have to open, if they open the wrong door, they're killed. If they open the correct door, then they go on to the next room and they have to find their way out of this maze. And Ari Sue is like really good at puzzles and things like that. Um, and it's just, uh, that first that I don't know, I was kind of hooked on this from like the first episode. I don't know about you guys, but I was, I was super hooked <laughs> on this from the first episode and I've burned through the series within the past couple weeks and I'm going to give it an absolute Tupperware. I loved it, the direction that it went and, and kind of the things that you find out towards the end of the season. Um, there's different groups of people and uh, I don't know. I Tupperware the fuck out of it. I loved it. I loved this. Jake, what'd you think of the first two? Yeah, this was fucking great. I, I, I Tupperware it as well. Um, I was actually won over with the second episode. I, I by no means disliked the first episode, but it just kind of merely intrigued me. And then the second episode really blew me away with what could happen within these games and kind of finding out the manipulation that's happening to different people that are playing different parts in these games kind of blew my mind and freaked me out. Um, yeah, this was really cool. Um, I'm excited to see the difficulty levels ramp up. I was kind of awestruck that in the first episode, it's a three, I believe. And in the second episode, it's a five. And I was like, geez, this five seems really fucking hard. I would be dead. <laughs> was the five, was that the, the fucking guy with the, wearing the horse mask going around the shooting five, people? Yes. Was the horse mask shooting people. Oh, and I'm like, God. this is a fucking five. Does it go to face cards? Is there a Jack of clubs? <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. Those that that's answered later on in the season. Um, I've seen a level 10 difficulty and it was fucking insane. I can't even imagine double five. So I, I'm really intrigued. I'll definitely be finishing this uh, next week's probably a really good week for that with like you talked about watching the expanse. Cause all we have to do is wonder woman next yeah. week. But yeah, I can't wait to see. I just like the idea that every episode it feels like is going to be a different game. And I like that there's this continuing story going on through all the episodes, but you also get the one and done aspect of what's the game going to be this episode. 
And that that's really intriguing. And there's just such a human personal level of drama going on that I don't really want to spoil with all the characters and the people that are forced to play the game that, yeah, this, this really blew me away. Um, a little bit heavy, I think on the exposition at, at points, but I get why they did that. And it's in no way a distraction. Like that's kind of where you kind of feel the the manga feel yeah. in my opinion is when it gets really exposition heavy with some of the rules and, stuff going on but it's also fascinating that it it doesn't really bog it down or bother you and the action is just superb the direction i think is superb i man yeah i loved this show um i loved the three friends i loved their like interactions with each other Mm -hmm. i love how it's potentially gonna go sour and it already makes me sad kind of seeing the seeds planted for that so yeah i can't wait to finish the series how many episodes is this it's uh i believe it's eight episodes yeah, wow, that almost feels too short. And uh, uh, well, we'll definitely, hopefully, get a season two. It looks like if the show does well, we'll get a season two. But yeah, this is a Netflix original. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, definitely, no doubt, Tupperware. I'm, I'm through one episode. The only reason why I'm only through one is because I wanted to watch as much as I could this week. Uh, but I wanted to start episode two immediately after finishing episode one. Yeah. W- what I really loved about this series and. It's, it's a combination of two things. And again, again, one episode, it's hard. Pilots usually suck. This was a phenomenal pilot. I agree. This was an excellent pilot. Um, characters and set pieces. Those two things were phenomenal in this first episode. They told us so much about these characters by doing so little. Like uh, uh, Arisu, uh, we learn about him in about three minutes, that he lost his mom, that he's disappointing his family that he's immensely talented, that he's got these friendships. I mean, I I just thought they did such a great job of helping us connect with him uh, and his friends very, very early so that when they're in these high-stakes games, it it just matters. It it matters. Um, I personally prefer to watch, and again, this isn't like a snobby thing, I prefer to watch this in Japanese with subtitles on to really get a sense of the performances. And I thought um, all of the performances in that first episode were superb loved it uh you know a lot of young actors and actors i thought they did an amazing job i can't wait to see more of the show i'm immensely glad that it's going to continue to pay off because i was after such a great pilot i was worried that i was going to be disappointed uh once episode two is a real mind fuck just wait wait until you get to episode three holy fuck it's our it's our first game of uh hearts and uh oh my god it was episode three was incredible i mean and there's eventually you'll you'll see these characters get to a place where they are opened up to a, a bigger world with more characters and um you know it, I, I was it's an absolute Tupperware. I loved this. I cannot wait for fucking season two. I absolutely okay. loved it. I was in awe at how cold the veterans of the game are to people that don't know what the fuck is going the on. The newbies, like, where am I? <laughs> like, where am I? What's going on? And they don't even fucking answer them. Well, not only that, but they almost use them as stepping stones to get further themselves. Oh, totally. just so cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That, that fucking, that second game that they go to where... You know, they're going up against, they have to find like a symbol or something and, and then get out of the game and, and they're being chased with these guys that have these fucking horse masks on and going around shooting them with machine guns. It's like, what the fuck? This is insane. 
Yeah, some of the fight choreography during that was really cool. I didn't expect it to, to ever turn into like a physical, like punching and kicking fight, but when it yeah. does, oh my gosh, it's so kinetic and like you're just so into it with yeah. what's going to happen to these characters. Alice in Borderland. Alice in Borderland. Fucking click on add it to my list on Netflix and get started on this one right away. It is fantastic. Absolute Tupperware. Uh, the stand on CBS All Access, which isn't going to be CBS All Access for long. It'll be eventually changing over to, uh, I think I just com- call it Paramount. That makes oh, wow. sense. I thought it was going to be changed to Paramount. I thought they're going to be changing the name to this pretty soon. I think you're right. And you yeah. can tell with the adding of all the MTV and Comedy Central and Nickelodeon stuff that they're kind of gearing up for that. After the mass destruction uh, caused by a man-made virus called Captain Trips, a false messiah emerges possessing incredible powers and hell-bent to rule the remaining human society. It's up to a group of people to journey the post-apocalyptic wasteland to stop him and his army. Um we got James Marsden in here, Odessa Young, Owen Teague, Alexander Skarsgård, Whoopi Goldberg, Jovan Adepo, um, Amber Heard, Henry Zaga. Huge cast here. Jovan Adepo, wasn't he an overlord? Mm, I can't confirm that. I'm Googling. Loved Overlord. Goddamn, Overlord was so fucking good. Jovan Adepo and Overlord. Such a great fucking movie if you haven't seen Overlord. I think Overlord, if you have yes. Epic, yeah, Jovan Adepo, if you have Epic subscription, watch Overlord. It's a fucking uh, World War II zombie movie. It's incredible. Joe, uh, Joe, uh, Greg, have you seen that one? Overlord? Yeah. Yes, awesome. <laughs> so good. So good. I said Joe because I've talked to Joe about Overlord, I believe, and I think. No, yeah. yeah, Overlord's like a almost like a grindhouse movie. That's how I'd sort of describe it. Yeah. Oh man. Who did Who did he play in the Sand? I I don't think we've been been introduced to his character yet. Oh okay. I don't think we have. Um, yeah, I mean, we barely got Alexander Skarsgård and Whoopi Goldberg in the first episode. So, and w- Greg Kinnear shows up in this series later, and we haven't seen Greg Kinnear. Who is, who is, oh God, we're going to jump into this. Who, you know, the fucking guy that worked for like the, the government. Remember him from Legion? Yes. <laughs> as soon as I oh, saw. I didn't even connect that it's the same at, you're right. Gee, yeah. Yeah. As I knew as, I'd seen him somewhere before. Okay. As soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, that's the dude from Legion. Oh, he's, yeah. that's awesome. Um, Jake, I, I'm, I'm dying to hear what you thought about this. I know this is probably one of your most anticipated of the year, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I was super excited. It's one of my all-time favorite Stephen King books. Um, I've always been let down by the original ABC, uh, was it three or four-part miniseries that they did back when they were always doing the yearly Stephen King miniseries. Was that, the, was that the Rob Lowe one? Yeah, Gary Sinise is your Stu Redman. And yeah, um, yeah you know, it, it was okay, but it, it just never really captured what I wanted in a stand adaptation. And I mean, we're only one episode into this so far, so jury's out, and I'm going to keep watching. But I did not love this. This was a low taste it for me. Um, I don't know. I just kind of hated the way they told the story. Anytime we have a flashback during a flashback in a narrative, I kind of roll my eyes at that. And there's a lot of that going on here. Like we start where. You know, 99% of the population is already dead. We're seeing, like, them rebuilding the town. And then from there, we flash back to Stu Redman. And then from that flashback, we flash back to why Stu Redman is where he is. And it just 
the storytelling was a little tedious, in my opinion. I had a hard time even like understanding how people that weren't familiar with the storytelling could follow what was going on. I thought it was so mm-hmm. all over yeah. the place. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I, I, one thing I really did like is I liked them withholding what Randall Flag really looked like, and because they did so much of that in the original miniseries, and it really took away from like the allure and the spookiness of the character. And I thought one thing the show really did right was making that character as scary and evil and spooky as possible, and just the final reveal at the end with that character was really well so done. That's the Scarsgard character. Yes. This is my first exposure to the stand. Okay. I, I'm very curious as to <laughs> what you thought. Yeah. But, yeah, this this is kind of a real bummer to me. And just one more thing before I pass it on. I, jury's out, but so far in the limited amount I've seen Whoopi Goldberg, I can't fucking stand her in that role. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll feel differently if we, I don't even know if we're going to get the scene where the characters like meet her for the first time. Maybe we'll get another flashback within a flashback within a flashback where that happens. But I am not impressed by Whoopi Goldberg so far, and she's a real detractor for me. I hope maybe that's just first episode blues, and she's a lot better later on. But I'm not holding out too much hope for that. Big bummer of a show for me. Low tasted. Did you like her in Jumpin' Jack Flash? Oh, of course. Thank you. Thank you. I love that movie. Jumpin' Jack Flash. What a great fucking movie. What, what, what happened to the Whoopi Goldberg like action stuff? So much fun. So much fun. Action comedies with Whoopi Goldberg. Anyway, uh, who else, who else got a chance to see this? Melissa? Yeah, I yes. did. Oh, you both did. What, what'd you think, uh, Greg? Uh, I'm going to be more direct. Um, Jake, I am nowhere near the fan that you are. I read the book. I saw the Gary Sinise miniseries. This pilot, this this first episode was patently awful. Um, it was probably the worst adaptation of Stephen King that I've ever seen. And I've seen some pretty awful adaptations of Stephen King material. This was certifiably <laughs> horrifically bad. And um, it leads me to think a couple of things. I know I've heard for years that Josh Boone really is a fan of this material. He might be too much of a fan and be radically overthinking how to tell this story. Also, um, I'm convinced that Josh Boone needs to figure out how to get a casting director that knows how to fucking cast talent because there were certain roles in this first episode that were horrifically miscast. Like there were characters that were playing like the guy from Legion, for example, forgive me for not knowing. I don't know if he's playing this role for laughs or not. It's like, hey, I've got a deadly disease. I'm in a pandemic. Half the world is dying. (laughs) It's almost tongue in cheek the way he's playing this role. Um and I, I don't think he was alone. It, the tone of it was off. Uh, it might as well have been called Everybody Vomits about every 30 seconds. Oh, my God. I co-signed that because I, I, I do not do vomit. After, <laughs> yeah. After the first episode, and it's not fair to judge a series in the first episode, but I will not be watching any more of this. I, just not into it. This Ouch. could go down as one of the worst adaptations in the history of television. It is awful. Absolutely. Real quick, I I also thought it was very tongue in cheek how characters always coughed right before scenes ended. Relatable to me. You cough around me. I'm giving you a stank eye too. You're the president of the United States, and you're addressing the fucking country to calm them down, and you can't get somebody to edit out your fucking coughs. 
Have Are you, you kidding me? seen the Are you news this me? last year? All right. <laughs> no, I have. I have. But you're telling you've got the president trying to calm everybody down and he's coughing up a lung. Like a little hard to believe. Come on, let's say, come on. Now we're veering into real world shit and I don't like it. Stop it. I'm, I want no more I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give it the lowest of toss it's like you need to create a lower category than toss it for this dumpster fire. It was awful. Okay. Coming from a bad taste island over here. I love this episode. Oh, listen I only knew like the bones of what this was going to be about because a podcast that I like is covering the stand so I listened to their like pre-episode or whatever so I knew it was basically I knew that the the catalyst for all of this was a pandemic which is great because I think it would have been a little overwhelming if I wouldn't have been prepared in that way um but I don't really know what any of these characters or what any of these storylines are supposed to be and in that I'm like really excited to see James Marsden doing competent things like he's such a comforting and lovely handsome presence I'm glad he's going to have more to do here than he ended up having to do you know in Westworld Um, Henry who is played by Owen Teague who I only know from it which is you know another Stephen King but he just has like the spookiest creepy energy that I just do not trust this person and I like um, that we're getting some of the story from his perspective because that has the like edge of your seat kind of like unreliable narrator of it all. Um, they basically are just teasing Alexander Skarsgård in this and he's pretty much the reason that I was willing to actually subscribe to CBS All Access to watch the show. So, um, you know, I'm intrigued with what's going on with his character. I'm currently in the middle of watching Lost for the first time, so this, like, flashback with cuts to the present format is kind of working for me right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I Tupperware this first episode, so I'm sorry for you actual The Stand fans. I guess this show is just for me. <laughs> fucking uh, talk about The Stand. Greg's taking a stand and saying, I'm never watching this fucking show again. More for me. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't hate it, but I don't love it. And I don't think there's enough here to keep me watching or invested in this, to be quite honest with you. And I think a lot of it, uh, what Greg said about some of the casting <laughs> decisions. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you with, uh, the fucking, what's the young kid from it or whatever? Like a little over the top oh, for me. Yeah, he's over this the top for me. I'm not a big fan of him in this so far. And I don't know. There's just not enough to keep me watching this show um and uh, I'll report back. i think it's a huge slight that you didn't say that james mars didn't get didn't get enough to do in sonic the hedgehog that really hurts <laughs> james marsden was the glue of that movie um you needed him so i'll just i'll put that movie on my list because now i apparently am james marsden's number one fan yeah no shit jesus <laughs> Fucking James Marsden fan club over there. Fucking uh, our, our our original Cyclops. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a taste. That it's nothing. I, but I don't think I don't know if I'm going to be coming back for the second episode. To be quite honest with you. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I got to see a little to bit know, more. Like what all Alexander Skarsgård gets to do in this. I mean, he'll get to do a lot. And one thing I am intrigued by is. 
Stephen King himself wrote the teleplay for the finale of this series. So mm-hmm. I'm very interested in seeing how that goes down. Because one thing that's kind of always been criticized about this story is the ending. So I wonder if the actual writer of the story himself is going to do some tweaks to said ending. Or I've... if it's just... Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say, I feel like that's kind of a thing with, like, King itself, right? Like, I'm not super familiar with him, but I feel like what I do know is that a lot of the endings are not maybe great. Yeah, it's just a a lot to handle. And I think the big thing with King's stories is the characters and seeing these characters react to these insane circumstances. And actually having some kind of resolve to the insane circumstance isn't really his strongest suit. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just I more feel like about characters. Chapter two did like a lot playing off of that. I mean, fuck it, chapter. Two. I never even watched it. Did you watch it, Jake? I have never watched it. Chapter it is yeah. not well, great. Well, I was the just like, one? if yeah, yeah, if they're not going to include a child, yeah, if they're not if they're not going to include a child orgy, I'm out. <laughs> uh, something when the characters grow up for sure. It's it's not as I, I didn't think it was terrible. It's too fucking long. It's not as fun as chapter. Things like it's it, like it was really fucking long. Jesus, that the, uh, that's what turned me off too. Was the length, the fucking length. I'm not going to sit around for fucking two hours, three hours, or whatever the fuck that movie is. I didn't even, I, you know, I lo- I know Jake loved the first one. I didn't even, I liked it, but I didn't love it. So I've actually watched the first one again since part two existed. Yeah, and that tells you how against watching part two I am. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, but I'm going to keep watching this. I have to see what they do with Flag. I have to see him get some speaking lines, and I have to see what they're going to do with Trash Can Man, who was my favorite character from the original book. So I don't even know who they've cast as this character, but I'm sure they're going to include him. Yeah. I have to see what they're going to do with that. I need to get back on Mr. Mercedes. Yeah, that's all on uh, one of the streaming services now, right? It's, yeah. Is it on Peacock? So, yeah, Peacock picked it up, didn't they? Yeah. 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 Yeah, fucking, I love that first season. It was fantastic. I love yeah, it. all three of those books are, are some of his better, newer work. Well, so what's your favorite Alexander Skarsgård shit? What's, are you a big fan of Tarzan? True Blood, baby. True Blood. Yeah, I was, I was all about True Blood, too. <laughs> I was cracking up in your Patreon episode. <laughs> <laughs> talking about how you weren't going to report on things that you necessarily didn't watch, but True Blood, you watched all of. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. I watched all seven seasons. That was what, like, we were talking earlier off the air, like, you know, watching stuff when you're at the gym. I watched the first four seasons of True Blood on a treadmill. <laughs> Hell yeah. I watched a couple episodes of the first season of True Blood on a plane, and, um, it gets a little risque, and I remember like trying to shield my screen from the other passengers, being like, "I'm sorry." Oh my god, I could not believe how 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 naked Anna Paquin gets in that. Naked as hell. Naked well, as fuck. Like, can you send me the episodes that that happens? Just, just it's literally like, all of them. Just go to right? miss, miss just go to mrskin.com. It's got a search yeah, engine there for yeah. you. I, uh, I have a, I have a personal login for that site, so I'll leverage that. There you go. Yeah, yeah, fucking uh Anna Paquin's fucking getting naked all the time on that show. All the time on True Blood. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's one of those True Blood and it's just like, you know, and I said this in the Patreon episode, like people hear about a True Blood reboot and they start bitching and moaning. And it's like, fuck off. You, you oh, didn't even, me. you didn't even watch all seven seasons. I'm ready. You don't bitch about more True Blood if you didn't watch all seven seasons of True Blood. I don't even want to fucking hear it. All the True Blood. I'm coming back. I, I- <laughs> 
And uh, I wasn't a fan of all that fairy shit and where it went and so some of the- what's interesting is like um I read all of the books mm-hmm. that True Blood is based on and mm-hmm. they it, it, they go com- they veer completely off. So like if this reboot is actually going to be more of like a book adaptation, I think that could be super super interesting cuz it's like the same characters you know and love but different stories. But the fairy thing is kind of involved, but if you get that from, like, the author's original perspective and idea of how it's going to go, maybe you'd like it a little bit more. Yeah, I suppose. I just, but my biggest problem with, like, what happened with the later seasons of True Blood is that all these characters that I've come to love within, you know, Bonton, they, you, every fucking character has, like, this B story. And there was too many of Everyone them. Everyone becomes like supernatural. Yes. Which if I remember correctly, that does kind of hang out through the books. Yeah. Um, it was too much though. But I'm not trying to be the lone human in Bon Tom, so. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'll, fuck it. I'll be watching more True Blood. Once it comes out, yeah, I'll be like, watching it. We could bitch about what happened to True Blood all we want, but True Blood reboots shows up and I'm sitting down on my couch at 8 p.m. Fuck on a yeah. Saturday night. I'll be watching. <laughs> I'll be watching the sexy vampire show. <laughs> is, is it an HBO thing again? It's H- okay. it's going to be HBO Max, I think. Okay. Yeah, Riverdale creators. Riverdale creators. So I was, Give me I was that drama. I was thinking that maybe seems perfect for that it, series. It might be fucking it, like they did Euphoria, and you know I think Steven said this like you know the, HBO did Euphoria. They might fucking they might go the high school route. So. We'll see. Can I ask Jake a quick question about the stand before we move on? Uh, um, sure. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. All right. Hey, hey, Jake. So the character, uh, Owen Teak's character, uh, Louder, Her- yeah. Harold, in, in the original, I remember the miniseries very vividly. In the book, I'm a little fuzzier. But isn't it like a slow sort of unfolding from him being kind of just like a nerdy dude to being basically an all out bad guy? Yes, yes. They don't like, turn him into a bad guy in chapter one like they did in this miniseries, basically. And and that's another one. Like, that, I just found that disappointing. Like, it just, because to me, that's one of the coolest stories. Because over the course of the book, isn't he, he gets connected to Flag and kind of turns dark. And that's one of the fun things about the story. That yeah, you feel a lot more sympathy for his character with the slow burn, where in this, he's just kind of a creep from moment one. He's a peeping Tom creep the second you meet him. Yeah. And you just don't really have the sympathy for the character that you ever got in either the original miniseries or the book, honestly. He was played by the guy from Parker Lewis Can't Lose in the original miniseries, and I liked him a lot better in that one, too. So... <laughs> Parker Lewis can't All right, my lose. Parker Lewis can't lose, which then they dropped the can't lose, and it was just called Parker Lewis. In latter, catchy. In latter seasons, synchronized swatches. <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody knows what I'm saying right now. Anyway, uh, no, I remember that. Okay, Greg. Okay, robot. <laughs> <laughs> Robot Greg over there. Fucking. Uh, <laughs> 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 Greg's turned into a Star Wars droid. Um, Am I still breaking up? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix. Who else watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? I did. 
And that is it. We got the one lone voice of Melissa Mulroney's Black Bottom. I guess I guess it wasn't important for Jake or Greg to watch the final live action performance of one Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Wow. What a dishonor. Wakanda not forever, I guess. Holy shit. What a performance it was. Oh, my God. Yes. Tensions and temperatures rise over the course of an afternoon recording session in 1920 Chicago as a band of musicians await trailblazing performer, the legendary mother of blues, Ma Rainey. Late to the session, the fearless, fiery Ma engages in a battle of wills with her white manager and producer over control of her music. As the band waits in the studio's claustrophobic rehearsal room, ambitious trumpeter Levy, who has an eye for Ma's girlfriend and is determined to stake his own claim on the music industry, spurs his fellow musicians into an eruption of stories, truths, and lies that will forever change the course of their lives. Levy's ambition to start his own band also has him soliciting the managers and producers requiring him to relive previous traumas. Uh, Ma Rainey was one of, this is based on, on, uh, true events. I don't, I don't know how accurate it was, but it's based on the earliest African American professional blues singers and, uh, one of the first generation of blues singers to record. It's directed by George C. Wolfe and written by Ruben Santiago Hudson, based on the play of the same name by August Wilson. Stars Viola Davis as Ma Rainey. Chadwick Boseman as Levy Green, uh, and then we've got a cast of Coleman Domingo, Glenn Turman, Michael Potts, Jeremy Shamos, John Co- Johnny Coyne, Taylor Page, and Dusan Brown. I, uh, I, phew, wow, this was, yeah, like it was emotional watching Chadwick Boseman in this, and um, this, there's a particular scene in this. And I'll break it, I'll break it, break the scene down a little bit more, but it's like, um, it's a scene where he's talking about, um, whew, wow, I'm getting chills just thinking about this fucking scene. It was, it was really amazing. He's talking about growing up and, um, how he's been able to handle white people, uh, being a black boy, um, and then a black man. And, uh, in this time, um, and, talking about one day his father leaves and and these white men come into his home and basically have their way with his mother and and um it is one of the most powerful fucking and i don't think like the camera doesn't break away and if it did i don't remember it was just like one of the most powerful performances i've seen all year and one of the most powerful performances i've seen from chadwick boseman ever and it was just uh you're watching it and I'm feeling two things. I'm feeling like, wow, like I'm listening to, I'm hanging on every word he's saying and how emotional this is. And then I'm also thinking like this guy's career ended way too soon because of this illness. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he, and I'm thinking to myself, he knows he's dying. He's got, you know, this cancer and how can he come in here and, fucking put on a clinic like this with all these things going on in his own personal life how is this guy able to to do this and it just blew me away his performance in this and um i i topped away this movie i thought it was fucking absolutely phenomenal um, me too yeah it's like this feels or it sounds i guess like kind of dramatic but i've said this to a couple people um, have 
after watching Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, just how much of a gift I feel like it was to be so completely in love with Levy during this movie and to be charmed and delighted by his character from the very first moment. And it just hurt in such a good way to get like deeper into this character. Like I'm so thankful and I was so willing to have my heart broken by Chadwick Boseman and to be heartbroken for him while making this movie and this character like, I can't, it, I know it sounds dramatic, but it's hard to overstate, like, how emotional the experience was. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. It, it, I mean, it's like, you know, you go back and you, you watch some of these final performances, you know, um, after these actors die, like, you know, Dark Knight with Heath Ledger. And this was another one. This was another one where it's just like you see <laughs> Chadwick Boseman doing like and what's such such a such a personal fucking story this character and then like you can see like it's it's based on the play and it feels like you are watching a play in a lot of ways mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. i mean cuz like there's i mean there are like there's the set is basically like the recording studio and then like this fucking room that they're they're practicing in you know most yeah, of like, the movie takes place this there. movie really is in the monologues yeah yeah yeah, um, Viola Davis was fantastic. She has a real big moment where she shines in this and she's talking about how, you know, she wants things done her way because she knows that these, these white men that are these recording executives that they, they want to use her just for her voice. And so, and she's gonna fucking, she's, <laughs> If they're gonna do that, she's going to put them through the fucking ringer <laughs> in mm-hmm. order. And I, I would, mean, yeah. I mean, this whole movie is basically not not basically. I'm not trying to like distill it down to any one thing because I'm sure that there are a lot of there are a lot of there are a ton of things to take out of this movie from all of the characters. But um, considering Ma Viola Davis's character and Levy Chadwick's character. Um, just contrasting how different people, you know, because of the generation that they're in or because of their personal experiences or, you know, anything that makes people unique, how different people deal with oppression and just like how exhausting it is to be black in America. And this is a period piece, but this is this is topical. Mm-hmm. And I, I I'm. I don't know if it's like recency bias, but like this has to be the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, like oh, it's 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 fantastic. I I I also noticed at the end of it, which uh, one of the producers was uh, Denzel Washington, mm-hmm. and I thought that that was like even very cool. Kind of like how it um, bookended, like Chadwick Boseman. Didn't he get like a scholarship mm-hmm. from from Denzel Washington to go and to? I think it was. Um, it was like blind. He didn't know. Yeah, yeah. At the time that it was Denzel until you know later. Yeah, 
Yeah. I, uh, I was reading on, uh, Yahoo Entertainment. They had an article that said Chadwick Boseman reportedly broke down in tears while filming a scene in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, his final appearance on the screen. Boseman was battling cancer while making the movie, an adaptation of the 1982 August Wilson play set in a Chicago music studio in the 1920s. During the scene, Levy questions and challenges Cutler's faith. Quote, we were doing it in a very casual way, and I assumed that when Levy got to the big speech that Chadwick was going to stop, but he didn't stop. He kept going, and Levy took over. It was raw and explosive, said Wolf. Uh, afterwards, Chadwick just started to sob, and Coleman hugged oh. him, and then Chadwick's girlfriend basically picked him up. Bozeman was in a relationship with Simone Ledward, whom he later married in a low key ceremony and that was before he passed away but like that scene like like he fucking broke down on the set and cried i just uh yeah this was a powerful movie i i waited to watch this one today i didn't watch it when it came out on friday i had to wait i, I waited a day cuz i haven't even been able to i feel like i've almost been ready to go back and watch black panther but i haven't been able to go back and watch black panther yet since his passing in August. And, um, so this was, uh, you know, and, and, and then, you know, we've seen him in, uh, the five bloods and, um, and now in this and like, God, it just, just the, the body of work that he's left behind and like all the, you know, I can't imagine like what he would have done in the future. And he, he didn't feel like he, he thought he could beat this thing. You know, he was, he was working right up until the end just, uh, just an incredible performance. One of the best I've seen all year and a fantastic movie. And, uh, I Tupperware this movie, uh, the highest of Tupperwares. This is, I'm glad that I was worried like, Oh no, for last live action, movie of uh Chadwick Boseman what if I don't like it and I I uh, came out of it like I loved it because I'm gonna give you the honest I'm gonna give you the honest fucking rating I'm not gonna fucking come in here and be like oh it was this and that and and it was really really powerful it's a fucking powerful mm. movie it's really good yeah I Tupperware it yeah. too thank goodness he didn't go out Raul Julia style with the like Street Fighter bullshit yeah no shit oh my god that's how we that and Wagons East with John Candy are the two that you always want to avoid. Yeah. But what a, what a tragedy. I mean, um, I'll, I'll have to check this out. I had heard news this week that he had just signed a fairly large deal for Black Panther 2 and 3 as well. Um, I guess his agent had talked about that. So, you know, it's um, it, you wonder to what extent he just was always battling, battling, battling. And to what extent he really knew that it wasn't something he could win. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Tupperware, that movie, definitely watch it. It's on Netflix. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, burr, burr, burr. Did anybody watch any episodes of Sweet Home on Netflix? I, I watched not. the first episode. What's that, Melissa? I didn't see any of it. Greg, did you catch any? I did not. I watched, no. I watched the first two episodes. Um, it's uh, based on a webtoon of the same name. It's following the death of his family in an accident. Loner Cha Hyun Soo moves to a new apartment. His quiet life is soon disturbed by strange incidents that start occurring in his new building as people turn into monsters. Hyun Soo and other residents try to survive. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about this. Jake, I, I thought the special effects were terrible. Yes. And um, I didn't really like it. 
to be quite honest with you, it's a, it's a low taste it for me. Um, just, uh, there's this kind of, um, weird monster outbreak. People are turning into monsters, kind of like a zombie apocalypse, but each of these monsters are different in their own way. And, and it's about the people in this, uh, apartment building trying to survive this monster apocalypse that's going on. And, one of the early signs that you're turning into a monster is you start to bleed, uh, bleed profusely from your fucking face. Your uh, blood comes out of your nose and mouth. And, and there's this one point where this one character is going to be turning into a monster and, and he's trying to rescue these children and, and blood starts just gushing out of his face. And one of the little kids, this little girl looks at him and goes, are you all right? And in that moment, I thought, this is the dumbest child. <laughs> <laughs> this is the dumbest child ever put on, on, that's ever graced the earth. He has blood pouring out of his face and she's asking him if he's okay. Are you all right? You just need a tissue. It looks like his face is like the elevator doors in the shining just opened up <laughs> and it, it yeah it's it's his face went 100% menstrual and it was just the most disgusting thing and she's saying are you okay and i was i don't know i just i in the monsters the cg looks terrible and um this was like the opposite of uh of uh alice in borderland for me this was terrible in my opinion i i'll give it a low taste it yeah, I'm right there with you. I actually watched this and Alice in Borderland back to back. And I watched Alice in Borderland first. And then I was like, I had to watch another episode of Alice in Borderland to kind of wash the taste of this out of my mouth. Um, the effects were really bad. I agree. Um, I guess nice things to say about it. I thought the filmmakers themselves were aware that the effects were kind of shoddy and did a lot of interesting cinematography filming tricks to kind of, it felt, felt like mask the bad effects and i thought there was a few moments where that was effective i thought maybe the scariest part of the episode was the scene where the neighbor with the ramen noodles comes to the door and starts trying to get the character to let her in the door yeah i, I thought that actually gave me some nice horror vibes like i was it was very uh evil dead it did have very Raimi influences, and I thought the cinematography knew that the effects were bad and knew that it had to kind of try to do these zoom-in tricks to create the fear because the actual makeup itself was never going to do that job. Yeah. Um, and I thought this right after that scene where it goes to the, the next person in the apartment complex's door, I thought that was the most effective horror moment of the whole episode. But there was... Nothing here that made me want to come back and watch a second episode at all. Yeah. Um, I don't really care where these monsters came from. I don't care that one of the main characters may may also be a monster. I just there was no emotional grasp to really make me want to come back or give a shit about any of this. It was yeah. pretty terrible. Yeah, let's fly through these last ones. I got quite a few left here, but we need to get through good pop, bad pop. Did anybody watch a creep show holiday special? I did not. Not me. I did not. 
I'm the only one. I'll talk about it real quick. Creep Show Holiday Special. This is on Shutter. Uh, I watched this on the uh, AMC Plus app. It stars Anna Camp from Pitch Perfect. She's also in True Blood, and Adam Pally from the Mindy Project. And um, oh god, what was this show that he was in that I absolutely loved? God damn it, I can't think of the name. It's got uh, the it's got Damon Wayans' son in it. Jesus, New Girl? No. <laughs> he was in New Girl. He but he but he left New Girl to do this. Happy other, endings. Happy endings. Thank you, Adam Pally and Happy Endings with Alicia Cuthbert and and uh, but anyway, this uh, it's uh, it's a uh, holiday themed hour long episode called Shapeshifters Anonymous, written and directed by Creepshow showrunner Greg, Nic- Greg Nicotero from The Walking Dead. It's based on a short by J.A. Conrath. And uh, it's a uh, fearing he is a murderer, an anxious man searches for answers for his unique condition from an unusual support group. This was fucking uh, ridiculous, but kind of fun. I'll give it a taste. It, it was a uh, guy shows up to a uh, group called Shapeshifters Anonymous. He believes that um, he's turning into a werewolf when he wakes up that sometimes the next day he'll puke up, uh, he'll sh- excuse me, he'll shit pieces of like cloth and blood and buttons and pieces of metal and shit like that in his stool. And so he's like, he thinks he's a fucking werewolf. He goes to this group. He, he meets, uh, uh, Anna Camp's character. Who's like a, she's a were cheetah. Then he meets, he meets a guy who's a were tortoise. He turns in. Do it, tortoise. Nice. <laughs> and then he meets a were boar, and he meets uh, a woman who's not. She doesn't turn into anything, but she's a furry, and she's just obsessed with the were culture. Um, and then they've basically throughout this, you find out that they are being hunted by Santa Claus. <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> and Santa Claus is on. Um, he's uh, these are tough. These are tough times for Santa Claus. He doesn't have any elves left, so it's uh, it's the Santas at the shopping mall. Santas that are his minions in this, and they it's a full blown battle at the end where Santa Claus minions and is these they fight each other and it's ridiculous. I'll give it a taste. That it was fun. It's fun. Did anybody watch? Uh, a recipe for seduction. I did. Oh, yes, I, did. I did. Yeah. The fuck out of that. This is on Lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> this is on Lifetime. A recipe for seduction. Uh, Colonel Colonel Harlan Sanders has a steamy and savory love affair with a young heiress who must choose between her young chef with a dream of fried chicken glory and a wealthy, duplicitous suitor handpicked by her mother. It stars Maria Lopez. As Colonel Harlan Sanders and uh, a bunch of other people I've never seen before. Um, this is 15 minutes long. <laughs> and thank God. <laughs> oh my God, stop it. I wish it was an hour. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Oh, no. I, I'm with Melissa. I'm with Melissa. <laughs> Yeah, I think I kind of like this a lot too. I, I didn't hate it, but I don't need it. I don't need. I don't. I didn't hate it, but I don't need a fucking hour. I'm giving this an elite Tupperware. I'm trying to get a sequel. Well, they definitely set it. They definitely set it up for a sequel, didn't they? Say the 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 book of Sanders coming in December of 2021 at the end of <laughs> <laughs> oh shit did you see the news that this made where the like the kfc um like the relative of colonel sanders just is absolutely pissed off about this movie they should hey they should hold on no they should be they should be 
why they should be. This man is, this man was, he was a living man that made chicken and started this company and he died and this fucking company, they have turned him into a cartoon where he's going around dancing, talking about this fucking recipe and this chicken. I'm the colonel. I'm the colonel. And he does this fucking dance as this cartoon and now they got Mario Lopez dressing up as a sexy Colonel Sanders. If it was my fucking relative, my grand, my my great capitalism, if it was if it was my great great grandfather that had died and they're turning him into a cartoon and dancing his fucking (laughs) animated corpse around on TV and then you got Mario Lopez of Saved by the Bell fame fucking being sexy, dimple-faced fucking Colonel Sanders <laughs> and and fucking hitting on women and shit. I'd be a little upset. This is my fucking family legacy and you're turning it into a fucking this, uh, sexy fucking soap opera bullshit. Exactly. Yeah, That's what makes I it so know. wonderful. When this started, I was like, are we sure this isn't porn? Yeah, for sure, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) These vibes are very porny. I love that his name was Harland. Oh, my God. It just becomes more and more deranged every minute it continues. I fucking loved it. (laughs) A couple couple things that I loved about it, just to get this out really quickly. It's almost completely incidental that this character happens to be Harland Sanders of KFC fame, other than... Other than that, he has this secret recipe, which he managed to slip into conversation. I also love the fact that they took absolute minimal effort to dye Mario Lopez's hair gray. Basically, a costume like he was in disguise. Like the costume department totally just stopped at CVS for a quick like goatee and dye job, and that was the extent of how far they went. Um, The other thing is. No mention of Colonel Sanders' military service here. He's just Harlan Sanders. So we need a sequel where we learn about how he becomes a colonel, you know? Maybe he's not Colonel Sanders, and that's how, to Brian's point, we are not being sued by the KFC royal uh, family. Yeah, I look at it as like an alternate reality. Exactly. (laughs) There's an alternate timeline where he never joins the military, probably because he falls in love, Jake. Colonel yeah, Sanders, exactly. Colonel Sanders in the multiverse of madness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you can be mad at any single piece of media that uses crouton as a legitimate insult. Hilarious. I didn't I know this was going to only be 16 minutes. And I was disappointed when it ended. I was like, what? <laughs> it's over already? How long was that? And I looked at it, it was 16 minutes. And I was like, oh, fuck. I was really glad that Mario Lopez made zero effort to have a southern accent, too. He was like, oh, fuck hilarious. it, I'm just going to be Mario Lopez. And they're just going to call me Arlen. I know. He's just like, look at my sexy dimples. <laughs> Don't call me Crouton. <clears throat> you told him about my secret recipe? <laughs> <laughs> but this, this was a gift just barely under. Seeing Luke Skywalker again after forty years was this uh, this secret recipe. This was wonderful. Yeah, a recipe for seduction. You guys sound like you're giving it a Tupperware. I'm gonna give it a high taste. Don't look. The, chick, the chicken is so don't good. There's no the leftovers to put in the Tupperware, Greg. Hey. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Oh yeah, so this mom, she does not want her, she wants her daughter, it's, it's basically Titanic, 
where the fucking the family's like they run out of money and she wants her daughter to fucking marry this guy for the convenience for the money and uh and she's fucking and he asks he fucking corners her at dinner and says will you marry me and she's like ah, and then she fucking falls in love with Mario Lopez dimples and then yeah we got we got ourselves a we got ourselves 16 minutes of this <laughs> it got really dark and deranged in the last two minutes Dude, too That's, at the moment I got really when she's excited. like just kill him already I was like bruh <laughs> I was not ready <laughs> first no. to go down this dark path I, I thought it was fun for 16 minutes but man I do not I don't need an hour of this I'm sorry <laughs> I, I would, if they, if there was a companion novel, I would read it cover cover. <laughs> I was, I was glad her friend was killed. Fried chicken I, while I read it. Yeah, I was worried that her friend was murdered, but he thank God he wasn't dead. He was just trapped in a basement somewhere. Oh, I know. I feared for him too, Greg. <laughs> See, I knew, you, I knew you felt something somewhere deep in that black heart of yours, Brian. You felt something when you watched this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Did anybody watch Netflix After Party? I did. What's that, Greg? I watched it, yeah. I watched 25 minutes of this. Uh, <laughs> this is a Netflix After Party is the first of its kind weekly comedy panel show where comedians, cast, and creators come to chat about the streaming giant's buzziest shows and films. Uh, this one, uh, it's the hosts were David Spade, London Hughes, and Fortune Feimster. I love Fortune Feimster. I love David Spade. I thought Lights Out, which is another fucking, um, Lights Out on Comedy Central, which is another victim of Comedy Central's now doing all animated shows. Lights Out was way better than it should have been. If you ever watched it, it was so good. It was so good. He had different guests on every week. They talk about topical stuff. I thought, I loved Lights Out. I thought it was fantastic. And, uh, I, and now Comedy Central's, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing back Beavis and Butthead. They're doing South Park. They're doing a bunch of fucking animated shit and they're getting rid of Tosh.0 and Lights Out was another casualty. Um, I did not like Netflix After Party and I love David Spade. I love Fortune Famester. I just did not fucking, I didn't like this. They were talking. I didn't even get to like, I loved Queen's Gambit, but I didn't even get to the interview with Anya Taylor-Joy. I watched the Tiger King stuff, and then I watched some other fucking reality show that they had. What was it? Love is Blind or whatever the fuck. I, I, and then I, I was like, I'm out of here. This is just, I can't, this is not good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you. I'm going to give it a middle-of-the-road taste. I, I put this on while doing all my Christmas gift wrapping, and it was kind of the perfect show for that because you never actually had to look at the TV to really, like, follow what was going on. And in that aspect, it was nice. But, yeah, it was just so shilly for Netflix, and there was not really very many laughs. And I was mostly looking forward to the Queen's Gambit section, and yes. that was deep. That was decent enough. Um, it had some funny moments. I, I never com- thought about comparing David Spade's looks to the looks of the uh, other chess player that trains and Taylor Joy's character. So legitimate, though. Yeah, yeah. And once he brought it up, I, I, I completely saw it. But, yeah, I guess there's more of this coming in January. They advertise at the end of the series. And unless there's a show or actor that I'm just really into, I probably won't ever look in this show's direction again. Uh, I just think that Netflix should just bring back Lights Out with David Spade on their fucking service. 
just shop it around and fucking do lights out because that was a great fucking show. I didn't like yeah. this at all. I did laugh a lot when um, they had the Tiger King guy on and uh, two of the host shit on his action figure. Thought that the was action ballsy. figure looked nothing like him. It looked absolutely nothing like him at all. That was pretty funny. They they weren't but, just like willing to suck his dick about you know what was going on there. They did they did play a funny game with Anya Teller Joy though, where they um, they gave her four things, and it was one of them. Three of them were chess moves, and one was a sexual position. <laughs> so like they would say like Queen's Gambit, Cleveland Steamer, this and that, and she actually got all of them. I was really I thought that was pretty impressive. I thought that I got a light chuckle out of that, but it was pretty forgettable. I'll toss it. I, I couldn't even get through it. <laughs> yeah, that's the definition of a toss it. If you can't fucking finish it, it's a toss it. I, yeah, it was like it was two attempts. Like I, I watched the first 15 minutes and then I came back and watched 10 minutes like a day later. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. I'm out. Uh, I got two more things real quick. Did anybody watch The Wilds? Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. I watched the first episode. What did you think, Melissa? Oh, hold on. Um, Let me give this a synopsis. A group of teens must survive after a crash leaves them stranded. There's just one twist to this thrilling drama. These girls did not end up on this island by accident. I hated the twist at the end. I loved everything going into it. I hated the twist at the end. (laughs) That's, that's That's where I didn't like it. Yeah, the twist at the end doesn't really matter much to me because that's the fact of that isn't really going to affect the girl's experience and that's what I'm interested in um so I've seen three episodes I'm definitely going to be continuing to watch it uh yeah I mean I'm giving it a high taste it I don't want to Tupperware it quite yet because I think that this is the type of show that really has a higher tendency to kind of you know go off the rails or you know be disappointing in the storytelling by the end um, my favorite thing is this kind of continued through line, even though it is kind of heavy handed at times, that the trauma of being a teenage girl just like in the world is, you know, worse or like more long lasting than whatever they went through on this island, which is why the twist at the end doesn't really matter. I don't care whether or not they got here on purpose. All of that storytelling is kind of, you know, blah whatever to me but like what happened to these girls while they were there in their like personal relationships like with themselves and in their interpersonal relationships that's really interesting to me all of that all of that emotional like dealing with this trauma like i'm i'm definitely here for all of that everything outside of the island is like whatever (laughs) how many episodes did you watch Three. I watched the first one. Yeah, I liked it enough. I, I'll probably watch. Did you watch three as well, or just one? Just one for me. Yeah, I watched the first one. I don't know. I might watch the second episode. I might not. I I think it was like I watched this episode and then I was like, I'll I'll start Alice in Borderland, and I could not stop watching Alice in Borderland. I, I couldn't escape the feeling that. I was hearing the pitch meeting for this show, and it was, we're going to do Lost, but with all teenage girls. Because um, it felt very much derivative of Lost. And that's not a bad thing. And it, clearly, the show wasn't made for me, because I'm not, you know. I have You're not a teenage me. girl? I'm not, I'm not a teenage Spoilers. girl. Spoilers. Oh, my God. This whole fucking time, Jake. 
Not my handy Greg. Not my hashtag. You. Not my handy Greg. <laughs> I had you fooled for a minute there, um, but no, it, it it definitely felt feels at least inspired by Lost. It's kind of a similar model, um, but I could see if I could see how it could be compelling if um, you can relate to that. All right. We, I got a few more things. Jesus Christ, I did not know we had so much this week. I'm going to name off these things real quick. I'll give my rating, and if you guys have anything to say, let me know, but we got to move on. Anybody watch Wolf Walkers? Me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Tupperware, right? Come on. Yes. Yeah, this was no. maybe the best animated show I've seen all year. Oh, my I God. The like animation it. was so cool. What? Yeah, I didn't like it. All right, I'm Greg. a total asshole. This you don't episode. believe I Christianity thought, is villainous. I do, but I, I thought <laughs> it was cool. It was like coloring outside the lines, but I had a really hard time. Any long shots with like, oh, that gray square—that's the town and stuff like that. It felt. I also it felt like a not as good version of Princess Mononoke to me. But no, I didn't. I didn't dislike it. I just didn't love it. I would have given it a taste. I, I give it like a taste. It. I love it. That's I, me. Did anybody watch? I'm your woman. Me. Yeah, I watched that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this 1970s, uh, this is on Amazon Prime, and then if you want to watch Wolf Walkers, it's on uh, Apple TV Plus. I reviewed it in a previous episode, which is why I'm not going to delve into it anymore. Um, I'm your woman on Amazon Prime. Uh, in this 1970s set crime drama, a woman is forced to go on the run after her, her husband betrays his partners, sending her and her baby on a dangerous journey. It's written and directed by Julia Hart, stars Rachel Brosnahan from the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And, uh, see here, I, um, I'll give this a taste it. It was, it was fine. It's nothing I'll never, I'll, I'll ever watch again. I just feel like, honestly, like, I, I, and I love Rachel Brosnahan. I think this is like, this is, uh, she's so good in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And this is just like, this story, there's really nothing in this, in my opinion, that like stood out as just like stellar. It's a lot of elements that I've seen played out in different things. Um, but it's, it, it was nothing kind of like uh, super new and inventive to me. I thought it was fine. I, I just, I, I guess I expected a lot more out of this. I thought it was okay and just to taste it. In my opinion, I, I was just not blown away by this. Um, but it was it was okay. What, did, Greg? What did you think? What you said, I I, I wouldn't add anything to that. Yeah, um, Jake, did you I watch very, this? I very low taste this. Um, I thought it was the first half was a very much a slog to get through, and it it wasn't entertaining at all until maybe the last third of the movie, where I actually was interested in the characters. I thought this movie did a absolutely terrible job of character development and getting me invested in the gene main character. I, I had yeah. no reason to give a shit about this character at all until they slowly started leaking information out about her. I, I thought it was a disservice to the character and the actress yes. to throw her in this situation and not give us any reason to care for this character. We, she is so much more talented than this. In my opinion, if you've seen marvelous Mrs. Maisel, yeah. She is such a phenomenal actor. Um, and I just feel like this was, oh God, I felt like, I felt like this was just like, I honestly, I felt like this was a Liam Neeson movie. Yeah. 
it was very close for, as to a toss it for me. But I thought from the moment they got to the poker game when her and Terry met her old friend to the end, I was actually a little bit glued to it. I wanted to love this movie because I love her, but I just didn't feel like and I think like this is I don't know how much. You know, Julia Hart's done as far as like movies and stuff. I think like this is like a, maybe a good stepping stone. Maybe she can learn from this and get better, but I just didn't, this just didn't blow me away. Melissa, what'd you think? Actually, I like this movie more than you guys did. I'll give it a high taste. It, um, the production design is super cool. I was like intrigued just about the way that everything looked. Um, I was intrigued. As the movie goes on about the, you know, the strength of this, like, ensemble cast and the way that the characters end up being kind of all linked together, um, I was, I was engaged the entire movie, I think, in part because I like the score so much and the soundtrack. Um, the use of Aretha Franklin's version of the weight at the end is like chef's kiss for me. Um, I also love Rachel Brosnahan, but I think that Marsha Stephanie Blake as Terry is actually the standout performer of this movie. Um, and just thematically, I think I was interested in this maybe more than you guys were because, um, I get super interested in a movie that shows like motherhood as being like very complicated and painful and difficult to deal with. So like that outside of the action storylines was intriguing to me. Um, and overall, like the women in this movie kick fucking ass and I love to see that. So yeah, I give it a high taste it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, it, for me, it was, uh, I like well, the one scene that I liked that uh, was like the club scene where people are running out of the club and she's like in yes. the she's in, mm-hmm. the, in you know and you just see like people panicking and running back and forth when she's in the phone booth and stuff like that. I was like that was a really tense moment for me. And there were some other tense moments in this, but god, I just I feel like this is a, you know, I guess there's a decent directorial, you know, job here by this by Julia Hart. I I don't think she's done a lot. But yeah, uh, she's was done by far stuff so, though. Like so this good. isn't her first movie. She did like Fast Color. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm interested to see what she does in the future. But I think like this was kind of not polished. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it, I think it, that this was originally, um, you know, expected to be kind of like Oscary. Yeah. And it definitely didn't live up to that. Yeah. I would like to see Rachel Brosnahan get that, but. Oh yeah, I think she's. I love her. I think she's fucking great. I just think that this was a little bit clunky in its storytelling and just not a polished movie altogether. I think it had flashes of like really cool shit and you know, like that scene that I was talking about. But other than that, I was kind of like meh on this movie and, and, um, yeah, I don't know. Some parts, some parts were a slog and some parts were super tense. It was just, it just wasn't one consistent i just didn't get one consistent feeling this entire movie um Mm -hmm. and then reunited apart wayne's world i just real quick jake did you watch this i did did anybody else watch it i've never seen wayne's world so i did not watch this greg i didn't see it yeah i loved it I thought i loved it one of the the one of my favorite parts about this was the the 
when Brian May from Queen showed up and was talking about, I did not know this, that Freddie Mercury actually got to see the scene of yeah, them. Yeah, that blew me away. Wow. I, I, because that movie, you know, Freddie Mercury died in 91 and the movie came out in 92 and I never knew that he got to see a rough cut of this and that he really enjoyed it. And like, and Mike Myers wasn't aware of it either while watching this documentary and I was just super blown away by that. And, um, it was just nice to see the cast all back together and talking about it. And God, I love this movie and I am hoping for a Wayne's world three. I know that sounds crazy with all like, you know, I was not a fan of Bill and Ted face the music. I, that movie's absolute trash in my opinion. Um, but I think like even the last time we got to see Wayne's World for like what was it the 40th anniversary of Saturday Night Live, I th- was that was is that correct, Jake? Yes, that was phenomenal. It was so funny. I thought yeah. he, they did a list. I believe it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it was so good. Um, so I um, I don't know. I loved it. Reunited apart. Wayne's World. It's on YouTube. What do you guys think? Very high tasted was- for me. Um. I, unfortunately, it was kind of marred by some bad audio issues that yeah, yeah. were hard to ignore. Um, you know, you can't blame Josh Gad or, or the cast for that. But it, it was distracting to the point where the show itself actually makes fun of the bad audio issues with some text lines going on. During, I think at one point they're like, someone had their microphone underwater. We apologize for this. Right. Yeah. So, but uh, overall, this this was very very good. If there was a way they could clean up the audio and re-release it, that that would be really cool. I would I would watch it again. I, I feel like I don't have the right to complain about bad audio uh, this episode. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm yeah, not going to lie; I thought about you the whole time I was talking about that, Greg. <laughs> but I I did jot down that that was that was distracting. But it was so great to revisit so many of the laughs from that movie, uh, Cream of Some Young Guy. Uh, it just seems like they hit on all of the great jokes. Um, I, I love the part when um, the guy is telling everybody he loves them and he tells Gar- uh, he tells Garth and Garth just goes into this really nerdy dance. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I immediately after this was over, I said to myself, do I own a digital copy of Wayne's World or can I stream it somewhere? And I, I got it queued up to watch this week. So uh, a, a lot, a lot of fun. I remember I was... 14 years old and I, and I was a huge Wayne World, Wayne's World fan of SNL sketches and, um, me and my eighth grade girlfriend at the time went and saw this in the theater and it was like for the next like, you know, month or so, I'm just quoting this movie religiously. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This was, I mean, you were the same age, Ryan. This was a movie event. Yeah. For us when this came out, Wayne's World was so huge and this movie was so hyped and it, it really fucking delivered. It, it was great. I still to this day make jokes and quote things from this movie. Um, Wayne's World 2, not so much. Pretty bad. Yeah, I'm the same age. I was born in 78. So this was actually the first movie that I went to as a drop off. I was dropped off. I met up with probably 10 friends from school and we watched it and um so i have really fond memories of this one mm-hmm. and yes Wayne, wayne's world 2 is so bad i don't even remember it i have to i have to catch it at some point but i'm pretty oh. sure it was all <laughs> uh, i i i like Wayne's world 2 I, I miss the product placement scene there was no it's, reference to the product placement scene which it, was one of my favorites it's the it's the it's the christopher walken stuff and the way they tie it into like the freshman with um Dustin Hoffman at the end and 
that wedding scene and stuff. I, I love that, but you know, and then Chris Farley showing up in it as well. So, um, let's see here. I don't know. Did anybody watch? I'm no, I'm not that movie. Um, what was it? Well, the, the, the fucking Steven Soderbergh movie. Let them all talk. Let them all I, talk. I, I watched it. Yeah. A famous author goes on a cruise ship with her friends and nephew in an effort to find fun and happiness while she comes to terms with her troubled past. Directed by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, Meryl Streep is in this. Candace Bergen. I love Candace Bergen. Talking about SNL. I loved it when she was on SNL back in the day. I'm talking about going back in the 70s and shit. Um, Gemma Chan, I, God, she was fantastic in this movie. Um, Gemma Chan. Wonderful she's performance. She's so pretty. Oh, yeah, she is. I loved her in Humans. Um, like, she is the most gorgeous person on the planet. <laughs> uh, Lucas Hedges is, in, Lucas Hedges, huge actor now. I feel like Lucas Hedges is just, he's like the, um, what's it, Jesse Eisenberg guy now. Like, he's who they go for, for now that, now that Jesse Eisenberg, is older. They're getting Lucas Hedges for all his roles. Am I wrong? Am I wrong here? I mean, like Lucas Hedges is kind of whatever to me because he gets compared to like Timothy Chalamet a lot. And I don't see that. I think it's just because they came out at the same time and like they're both in Lady Bird. Um, but it's funny because Timmy's one of my like favorite celebrities, but I have seen two Lucas Hedges movies this year and zero Timothy Chalamet movies. Chalamet movies this year, so. Oh God, it's so I'm sorry. This must be so hard All on right, you. <laughs> must be so hard on you. I don't know how you've gotten through 2020 <laughs> without a single Support Timothy group. Chalamet group. Lucas Hedges does this. Does his name sound like an all-male gay retirement home? I, I, I thought, like. Welcome to Lucas Hedges. Go ahead, Melissa. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I was making a mean joke. So. <laughs> oh. I found I thought his performance was so endearing. First, I mean it's it's not the headline because you have some wonderful performances from Candace Bergen, Diane Weist, etc. But I found that character to be so endearing. And again, it's a, yeah, I I can relate to being just a young guy who has a huge crush on this much older woman who's obviously totally out of his league. But I I thought it was a really charming character and and take. And it's funny I read after seeing the movie that a lot of the dialogue was improv and i could totally see that I, I can absolutely see that given um what we saw in this film i thought i uh, meryl streep's great i thought the standout in my opinion was candace berg and i loved her she was great it was great to see her <laughs> I love- what, a, man, what a tough character wow yeah i i haven't seen her since uh oh fuck was she in that book club movie i don't know but she was in uh she did the murphy brown revival show which lasted the one season just wasn't. She'll always be Murphy Brown to me. Totally, totally Murphy Brown. <laughs> yes, I love Murphy Brown. That was a great show. I uh, like I like this movie quite a bit. I'll give it a high taste. It. Yeah, I I'm gonna go ahead and cross that line into Tupperware territory. I I, I really loved it. Um, again, I, I want to be really cautious here in how I say this, but I did feel at one point in the film that something happened that changed the way that I had seen everything before it. Um, and I did not see that coming at all. <laughs> um, but what, what I also really thought about this movie that really moved me is just this sense that, you know, as, as you age, there are, 
there are people in your life that just you you move in different directions and you yeah. evolve and you change in different ways and mm-hmm. that really felt painful um yeah especially Candace Bergen's character. Obviously, that one was probably the most painful. I also want to give a special shout out to Diane Weiss for probably one of the best monologues I've heard all year when she talked about Elon Musk putting up the satellites and that they were the oh, last people yeah. to see. Yeah. What a beautiful, beautiful monologue that was. Well, and then it fit perfectly with like what Lucas Hedges character was talking to her about with she's like one of the last people that grew up without the technology and all that stuff. Yeah. And they were having real yeah. talk and yeah, she kind of put it all into place. I yeah, God, the more you talk about this and the more I'm thinking about it, I really did enjoy this movie quite a bit. I thought Candace Bergen was amazing. The ending totally took me by surprise. Mhm. Right? Threw me for a loop. I was like, this is not the movie that I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, it it you know, and it's funny because it was almost like a charming comedy. And then that sort of swerve makes you see it as not so much a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still charming, but definitely not a comedy. Yeah. And, you know, poor Meryl Streep here, the greatest act- actor of our generation, in another amazing performance. It's just, we go, we just come to expect that from her. Yeah. But just, um, I, I really loved it. I thought it was a great film. Yeah, I'm starting to love it a little bit more now that I'm thinking back on it. I'll also give it a Tupperware. I know I never do this, but my God, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's Gemma Chan was fantastic, and I think I would watch this again 100%. Yeah, I think, um, I think if I had people like around that wanted to see it I would watch again I don't know if I would necessarily do it just for myself but um like going through the movie I'm thinking like okay what is this really about and I kind of got to the point where I thought that like maybe all of the characters and their journeys were kind of saying something about like perception and what that does um to like how you just like interpret your life, I guess, because, um, you know, we have one character who is perceiving that her life has been negatively affected by the work of, you know, her author friends. And it's like, obviously, Meryl Streep's character feels one way about it. The victim, quote unquote, feels a different way about it. And everybody who is reading that story feels a completely you know, other way about it. And by the end, I'm like, everything that you do is, you know, perceived by the people who witness it. And it feels completely different than it, you know, it feels to you while you're doing it or you're writing it or, you know, you're saying it on a podcast. And like, for that reason, I think that I will be thinking about this movie for longer than I think about the average movie, so I was originally just going to give it a taste of it, but I think for that reason, I have to, like, raise my rating to, like, you know, a high taste it or a Tupperware, because I think that this movie actually maybe will end up teaching me something that mm. I didn't necessarily expect while I was watching it. Yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, it's an HBO Max original. It's called Let Them All Talk, and if you have HBO Max, I would highly recommend watching this one. I think it's nice to see, it's nice to see fucking, um, you know, women like uh, Meryl Streep it's still able to fucking, you know, basically it, Hollywood hasn't thrown some of these wonderful older actors away. I hate I hate it when it happens to to some of the older actors. You don't mm-hmm. where have they been? Like every once in a while, I'll be like, is that person still alive? You don't fucking know. 
man, she's still fucking making some great movies. And then she brought in, she brought in Candace Bergen, who I hadn't seen in forever and doing something like this. And it's just like, fuck, it's, it's great to see that she's still got this, um, that she's still one of the Hollywood elite and that they're still giving her fucking roles. It's, it's deserved. She's really fucking good. I thought she was fantastic in this movie. So. One more fun fact, and again, it, when I read this, it totally made sense. This film, this was filmed 100% in natural light. No professional lighting whatsoever, which is why, I don't know, it just felt so intimate. It felt like I was, and I think this is why they called it um, Let Them All Talk, because it almost felt like we were intruding on these very personal conversations throughout the whole movie. And when you add improv and natural lighting, we were kind of just at a, a seat at the table as all of these characters were reconnecting in, in sometimes really painful ways. Um, it's a, Steven Soderbergh's being very expen- experimental now, post his retirement, coming back. And he did that yeah. one fucking thriller movie that was all filmed on an iPhone 5 or some shit, or an iPhone 7. <laughs> By the way, Andy Gray is all filmed in an iPhone, just so you guys know. What's that? Get that out. What's all filmed in an iPhone? My, my, Andy Gregg, my YouTube channel, all filmed on an iPhone. I never so. would have thought anything different. I know. I know. <laughs> all of our episodes. So I was guessing Android. All of our episodes yeah, no, of PCL are recorded on a uh, Home Alone talk boy. <laughs> I record, I, I record every episode. I have a talk boy from uh, Home Alone 2 plugged into my computer. So, yeah, it's a very painstaking process, but I want to do it old school, you know? <laughs> I toss it, you filthy animal. Oh, I see what you did there, Jake. <laughs> oh, man. Let's take, a, let's, let's take a quick break. I'm going to come back with a different co-host. And... <laughs> We'll finish up with our news and Marvel news and DC news. We'll be back. Welcome back. It is now time for the Pop Culture Leftovers News. Hear ye, hear ye, read all about it. It's a leftover news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangsta as fuck, yo. It's gangsta as fuck, yo. I don't know how gangster this news is this week. Mm, really? Not gangsta, huh? And news from Deadline, NBC has begun developing a Night Court sequel series, a multi-camera comedy picking up several decades after the famed late 80s, early 90s sitcom ended. The new take follows an unapologetic optimist, Judge Abby Stone, daughter of the original series character, Harry Stone, the late Harry Anderson. Can you believe that Harry Anderson passed away? Doesn't that still fuck you up to hear that? That, Yeah. That was a punch in the stomach when he died. Right? Man, I, I remember like fucking even going back and watching the old Cheers episodes. He would show up in the first few seasons of that before he was doing Night Court and just fucking that, you know, youthful Harry Anderson. And then it's like Harry Anderson passes away. It's like, 
A World Without Harry Anderson. That fucking sucks. I fucking love Harry Anderson. Very now, funny. And was like a con man magician, right? Yeah, he was the con mm-hmm. man magician. Yep. Yeah. 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 That 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 was hard. But he, to your point, he always had such youthful energy to see him go. And I think I don't even think he was sixty yet. He was very young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Abby tries to bring order to its crew of oddballs and cynics. Most not- notably, former night court uh, court prosecutor Fielding, played by John Larroquette, reprising his role. The original series ran from nineteen eighty four to nineteen ninety two for nine seasons and nearly two hundred episodes. And uh, Man, I loved, I don't know about you guys, but I loved, uh, I loved Night Court back in the day when it was on. You can't stream it anywhere right now. So I, I guess we can like hope and assume that you're not going to need knowledge of the original Night Court to enjoy this. Cause 200 episodes is a lot. I think you can watch like six episodes like scattered throughout and be caught up. Yeah. It's definitely a show though that like if you think that John Larroquette spends two seasons pressuring someone into having sex with him. It really doesn't hold up the way, you know? It's kind of like when you watch Sam and Diane on Cheers, you, you like, you, it feels like Sam belongs at a prison. Yeah, I, uh, man, it's gonna, I, are they gonna, are they gonna do like this? Are they gonna reform Fielding, John Larroquette's character in this? Or are they, I hope they don't. I hope that he fucking is the same character. And it's just, it's basically just showing how fucked, <laughs> fucked up his character is in this modern day. Like, I don't know if you guys watched, uh, Dice, Andrew Dice Clay's show on Showtime. I think it ran for two seasons, but Andrew Dice Clay was like still playing that same fucking character that he did. And it was just super fucked up. But man, the show was funny as hell. Cause it was just like, Oh my God, like you can't be this character in this day and age. And it just, it really stuck out. Yeah, the, the times have kind of – you look at that with a different visor on now. It's it's very weird. Um, man, Night Court on iTunes is 110 fucking bucks for the whole series. That's a lot. That's, yes. uh, Blossom is much cheaper, incidentally, for anyone interested. Um, just a rec- side recommendation there. Blossom is not as good a show, Greg. No, not as many episodes either. Night Court? I agree. I agree. But you – we were just talking last week about the over-leveraging of the gender swap, Brian. Um, yeah. And I read this article and immediately thought of you, how they're kind of – it's just going to be Harry's daughter since he's not here. It's, uh, it's a popular thing to do. It's the popular thing to yeah. do right now. It's just fucking – and it's like – I don't know, man. I just think it's – it was – I don't know. It's just dried up. It's not, it's not, it's not new. It's not anything new. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not anything new. Just like, can we just get fucking original female characters instead of fucking, okay, dad's dead. No, it's his daughter. I, I, I'd be willing to make a bet of uh, a full round of drinks at C2E2 that in the first episode, we there's some kind of reference that Harry's daughter loves to listen to Mel Torme. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. Go- yeah, I don't know. Reminder of dad. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know about. Are we like? Uh, who's coming back? Is Bull coming back? <laughs> if you if you, you don't have uh, Bull and Roz, just just don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> like they already shouldn't do it. But if you don't have Bull and Roz, forget it. 
Yeah, is this? Oh, so it's gonna. I, I'm guessing this is gonna be a Peacock series since it's NBC. That would make sense. Maybe Peacock will. Uh, that'll inspire them to put the original series on Peacock before this comes out. Oh, that would be, make a lot of sense. That'd be great. I would love that. That would be the best part of this. I hope that they don't change Dan Fielding. I hope he's the same fucking piece of shit that he was in the original series. And it just like we get to see like that character kind of like um, change throughout the series. I don't want him to be any different than he was, but I want to see like the ch- the character grow as the series goes on. I think that they can do that and I think that they can do it in a in a tasteful way. Yeah, and maybe he's been me tooed a bunch at this point. Yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I love Night Court, so but I'm not excited for this news. Um, a Night Court without Harry Anderson in the original cast just doesn't seem like Night Court to me. As much as I love Dan Fielding, and I watched, I was watching an old Carson, old Carson on Antenna TV, and they had him on there, and he was talking about a movie that he was in. He's a he's an interesting dude. Um, Chris Pine, this is from Dark Horizons. Chris Pine up for Dungeons and Dragons. Did you guys hear about this, Chris Pine? Yes. With the uh, Game Night Helmers, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly's, and they're going to be penning and directing the film. Uh, the story follows a warrior and his band of mystical creatures as they embark on a dangerous journey to find a mythical treasure. Uh, this version has been in the works for years with Baby Driver star Ansel Elgort being considered for the lead role at one point. Um, wasn't uh, wasn't uh, Joe Manganiello supposed to be involved in this at one at one time? I believe that is true. I don't know if he's still involved in in this one, but I don't know. Dungeons and Dragons. I loved Jonathan Goldstein, John Francis Daly, what they did in Game Night. Yeah, I think I'm still reeling from the Marlon Wayans movie. I don't know if I'll ever get over it. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> now this is being planned as a film. Is that right, Brian? Yes. Okay, so here's an, this is just an interesting question. This is how the world is changing. So we're getting Lord of the Rings on Amazon next year, right? Mm-hmm. We talk, talked about how, and again, I'm not I'm not saying this is going to be a big deal, but we talked about we're getting Willow on Disney Plus. We talked about that just last week. Right. What would it take to make if you didn't have a podcast? What would it take to get you to go out and buy a ticket to sit in a theater to watch a Dungeons and Dragons movie, knowing? that you have access to that kind of entertainment at home in 2021? Hmm. Wow. That is a loaded question. <laughs> Very loaded. Yeah. It would have to be a version where we see the characters from the 1980s cartoon in live action. Ah, okay. That that's actually interesting. It would have yeah, to be I, that. I would go to that. I'm talking, you know, the mage and you know, fucking. I can't remember all their names. The little barbarian kid, fucking yep. Uni the unicorn. It would have to be that in live action, and it would have to be directed by somebody that had a love for that original series, that original cartoon. I'm talking like, you know. um Travis Knight, who directed Bumblebee or something, somebody that really fucking understood the source material, but also how to like not make it like it, not make it exactly like the um, cartoon. It had to be it. It had to be for adults and for kids. 
and I don't, I think that's the only way to do it. And of course you have to fucking have, uh, Peter Cullen back, uh, back as the voice of like the villain in that one. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, yeah, I, I think going some kind of Jumanji route with it would be the best way. Honestly, acknowledge the fact that it is a game. Have players get sucked into the game. That's more interesting than it just being kind of vanilla fantasy. That's like, the that whole point, that's the just, whole 80s show. They fucking go oh, on the Dungeons and Dragons uh, amusement park ride and then they're brought into the, the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Give me Peter Dinklage as Dungeon Master and you've got yourself a movie. Yeah, otherwise, otherwise it just reeks of fucking like a Warcraft movie, basically, and it's just hard to give a shit. Yeah. Am I, is that too much nostalgia for you, Greg? Is my answer just too much like fucking? That's uh, yeah, that's a bullshit answer, isn't it? Me just w- wanting the cartoon brought to life. No, not at all. I think that's a that's a really good answer. I mean, it, and my point is not to shit on movie theaters because there's nothing like going to the movies, and I hope we never lose. I hope we never lose that. It's just to paint this picture that it's a much this the world is forever changed it is forever changed by what we're living through right now i mean it it it's going to take a lot to get people to get off their asses and go to a theater even when we're vaccinated it's crazy what would think about okay what about this approach jake and maybe this is this is maybe this is the worst way to do it but i'm thinking like hollywood those characters from the 80s are in there and they've been stuck there. I love that. That's that's almost even more Jumanji, but I love it. But, I think that's that's interesting. Well, hold on. Is that where we stop with them being stuck there from the 80s? And then do we add new players to come into this game? Yeah, I think we have them already stuck there. and we And we have the new players discovering them. And can we have the old characters ask questions that are painfully dated from the 80s? That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I love that idea. It's kind of like an Austin Powers effect yeah. with it. I, I would love it if they just hate the Russians, you know? Like, they're just everything is about how evil the Russians are. Talking about uh, how they love the Cosby show. <laughs> <laughs> how they still haven't solved the Rubik's Cube. Right. Who, who won the it would, VHS or Betamax? Where did, how did that sort itself out? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Is is Bill Cosby still the comedic force he was in the eighties? <laughs> oh man, yeah. Oh man, how's Michael Jackson doing these days? Oh, man. Not well. Anyway, yeah, Chris Pine is up for it, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, this is not enough. For me, I, and I love Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. I loved Game Night. I thought it was fantastic. These were the guys that I did want to direct the Flash movie back when they were attached. I really wanted to see what their version of Flash was. Um, after, you know, and like that was the only way that I was like going to get over the fact that, you know, uh, Lord and Miller were off the project because they were originally writing it. And then we got, uh, Jonathan Goldstein, Francis, John Francis Daly. And I'm like, oh, this is, it's still going to be good. Still gonna, these guys are fantastic. And then now they're gone. Who knows what the fuck's going on with that Flash movie? Marvel news, Marvel news. Uh, what do we got here? Uh, real quick, real quick Marvel news. Murphy's Multiverse is uh, saying that uh, Marvel Studios is developing a Nomad project. Did you hear about this? I did. Yeah. You heard about this, Greg? Yes. What do you think, man? Is 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 there? Uh... <laughs> are, are we buying this? 
buying or selling? Um, I'm buying it only to the extent that I think it's likely that Disney's always looking at the full portfolio of Marvel characters to see what translates to Disney Plus, and I and I don't think Nomad is the most likely product. I, I mean, you still have no, you still have characters like Nova. You, you have a lot of other places that you go before you go to Nomad, in my opinion. And uh, they're, 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 I think they're thinking about this being a spinoff to Falcon and the Winter Soldier if uh, Wyatt Russell's character of John Walker survives. But the biggest problem with Nomad is Nomad's a dude with a shotgun and some cool little frisbee disc thing. I mean, like, what? I just don't know what you do with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the coolest thing about him, frankly, was that he used to be Captain America's sidekick. Well, you can't do that. I just don't know where they go with this. I mean, Marvel surprises me all the time with some of these obscure characters, but I just, I'd be very surprised if this turns into something. I, I personally think that like the spinoff of all these shows, you know, is not going to be a Nomad series. I still think it's going to be a Thunderbolt series. I think the She-Hulk series is going to lead into like General Ross becoming Red Hulk and being part of the Thunderbolts. I think that, uh, this Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to lead to Baron Zemo being like the leader of the Thunderbolts. I think it's all going to, I think it's all going to be this climactic thing where it's a Thunderbolt series. And I think all these series actually could come together where we might see, even see She-Hulk joining up with, uh, Bucky and, uh, and Falcon and going up against the Thunderbolts, kind of like a, you know, Netflix defenders type thing. We'll see. Yeah, I still, uh, you know, I mentioned last week that I'm a big fan of um, uh, Ed Brubaker's Captain America run. W- when we first start to get the inkling that the Winter Soldier is Bucky, mm-hmm. because what a great, oh my God, what a great series. And they just tease you and they say, oh my God, that's that can't be Bucky. There's no way. One of the first things he does is he murders Nomad and stuffs him in a trunk. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Yeah, you never know. I just, I just think it's unlikely, personally. But yeah, you know. that character seems very much like a product of the '90s. Totally, yeah, it totally. Just, it just wouldn't work beyond that. And if it was going to work, it would be more in the confines of like what Netflix was trying to do with superheroes. I still have some issues. I still have some, some of my issues of Nomad sitting around here somewhere. He I, do t- I do too. Trench coat for a while too. You know, all the cool characters in the '90s wore a trench coat. Uh, yes, he crossed over with Ghost Rider quite often. Trench coats were popular until Columbine. Moving on. Um, I love it when I fucking say something that has you guys shut up. You guys don't know how to fucking react when I say something like that. Honestly, the only reason that time I shut up was with the quick moving on the second episode. You said moving on. I know. (laughs) I don't want to hold up the episode at all. (laughs) Um... Rumor from comicbookmovie.com, Spider-Man 3 now rumored to feature Mysterio, Dane DeHane's Green Goblin, and the Hobgoblin. This, uh, did you, did you see this? It's so hard to, um, read the Spider-Man 3 news. There's so much fake news out there that I never know what the fuck anymore. Yeah, it's, this is, they, comicbook.com reported this from Fandom Wire, so I went to Fandom Wire. And it says, back in October, we revealed that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield would have a presence. Other Spider-Man alum actors that are reportedly set to return are Kirsten Dunst. Uh, Is it Kirsten Dunst? Yes. They put Kristen. I said it correctly. You fucked up there, Fandom Wire. 
<laughs> Fuck ups. <laughs> Kirsten Dunst, Mary Jane Watson, Emma Stone's Gwen Stacy. Uh, and they, they spelled Willem Dafoe wrong. How the fuck? That side. They spelled it W-I-L-L-A-I-M. I'm surprised they didn't put Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas is going to show up in the fucking Spider-Man 3 movie. <laughs> Jesus. As his character from the Wolverine movie? Yeah, no shit. No shit. <laughs> I just want to say real quick, I met Willem Dafoe at an airport. Absolutely delightful human being. Really? Yeah, wonderfully nice, kind man. Kind man. Just the kind of person that welcomes people saying hello, loves the fact that, you know, I, like I when I see famous people, I don't say anything because I just always want to respect their privacy. What a lovely human being he was. Oh, that's awesome. You met you met him where? At an airport? It was an airport, I believe in Philly. Um and we were waiting for the same flight, and a couple people said hello, and he couldn't have been more gracious. So I just gave him uh, a quick, you know, hey, I love your work. I loved you in Shadow of the Vampire. I love you in, in uh, Spider-Man, and he was delightful. Wonderful. Oh, God, guy. I forgot about Shadow of the Vampire. What a great movie. Yeah. That's, I love hearing stories like that. I, I You know, and this is crazy. To, I, I, have a, I had a friend who um, met Alec Baldwin <laughs> at a hotel bar. And said that Alec Baldwin was just like the most pleasant and yeah. wonderful person. And it's crazy to hear that because like you, you know, with the leaked audio of him talking to his daughter and shit. I, oh, yeah. that was hard. Yeah. You know, I got it. And I know this is a total tangent. The, uh, this other person that I've met that was the, the kindest person, I think Shaquille O'Neal is one of the most genuinely kind human beings you will ever meet in your entire life. What a wonderful person he is. Oh, that's awesome. See, yeah. I would like, if I could meet anyone living or dead, it would be Michael Jordan. And I think like I'm too much of a fanboy to the point where like he would absolutely hate me. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's hilarious. He's definitely got an edge to him after the last dance. I'm not sure how I feel about meeting him. Oh my God. Yeah. I would be terrified to meet him. He'd but, probably get you on the wrong side of some wager, you know? You don't understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't understand, like, how much he means to me. Like, some of my best memories are just, like, you know, and I don't have I don't have a lot of great memories growing up, like, with my family and stuff like that. But some of the best memories that I have are, like, me and my family watching Bulls games together. You know, that's, like, one way that me and my dad have always been able to connect is, like, talking about Chicago Bulls or... Or, uh, you know, even like my, you know, talking about the Marvel movies and stuff like that most recently, but like, you know, fucking Michael Jordan was just there for me in a time in my life where it was just like, oh my God. And to meet him would just be like, I don't know. I would be so starstruck. I would be so star. I would be a blubbering moron if I ever met Michael Jordan. <laughs> it would be fucked up. I, I adore him. I adore him. And it would just be, ah. Uh, he would, it would probably shatter me <laughs> if to talk to him because he would absolutely hate me. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, these Spider-Man 3 rumors. Um, I don't know, man. They're talking about, they go on to talk about Mysterio coming back in this one. And it's, what do they say? 
what we're able to share may tread into some spoiler territory territory if you want to go into this as blind as possible click away now mysterio in spider-man 3 fandom wire can exclusively reveal that more villains throughout spider-man's film history are set to appear having wowed fans in spider-man far from home jake gyllenhaal's mysterio will be returning for spider-man 3 it's unclear if this will be through flashbacks or if the character is revealed to be alive in the movie. And then it goes on to say goblins galore. The third film is also set to have different goblins. Dane DeHane is in talks to return as Harry Osborn. Recently, we posted a theory on if Jacob Batalon's Ned Leeds would become Hobgoblin. Hobgoblin. Well, we confirm, we can confirm that Jacob Batalon will indeed be playing a villain. In Spider-Man 3, we can't confirm that he'll actually be the Hobgoblin like in the comics, but it's likely. It's also unclear if this will be the same Ned from Holland's MCU or another version from the multiverse. The latter is obviously more plausible. Um, have you guys seen the 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 pictures of Jacob Batalon recently of the drastic weight loss? Yeah, and good for him. Yes. Sure, absolutely. I hope it was... Uh, Hope it was healthy weight loss and, and not pressure from, from fans and all this shit. Sometimes that stuff gets scary. But, uh, yeah, man, I don't, I, I don't know what to believe anymore with this, with all these Spider-Man 3 rumors. I'm just like, everybody's coming back. It, if, if you and I just for fun now were to say that a credible source has told us that Topher Grace is returning his venom for, for this movie, People would probably believe that. Because <sighs> other other than Topher Grace and the guy who played Lizard, whose name I don't recall, we've heard pretty much every fucking person who's been in any Spider-Man movie who's still alive is going to be in this movie. Yeah, well, the, the Venom stuff doesn't make sense because of Tom Hardy currently being the character. Well, I, but what if he's like the Venom of Tobey Maguire's well, Earth, whatever Earth, whatever that is? You know? Yeah, yeah. What do you? What are the? What are the? Cha- okay. We, uh, here's the thing before, like I've been hearing rumors that, uh, Tom Holland and well, I've heard that, that, that Marvel studios and Sony have signed like another deal. It's not finalized, but he's not like, like Tom Holland's not going anywhere. This is the rumor that came from, we talked about it last week with Diz Insider, the Diz Insider guy. Skylar Schuler or whatever his name is saying like, Oh, don't worry. Tom Holland's not going anywhere. And then like this week, another big, you know, fucking uh, news outlet reported it. You know, I think it was like comic book movie or comic book.com or CBR or somebody. Yeah, it was CBR. It was CBR reported that, uh, you know, that he's not going anywhere. He's staying. Now it's not officially confirmed because we haven't heard, you know, we haven't heard news from Marvel studios or Sony come out to say it's confirmed. But, um, I was thinking to myself, like, what if they, what if Tom Holland did get sucked, sucked back, like sucked into the Sony universe and they kind of like parted ways for a while, but they brought Toby into the MCU. Oh, wow. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That'd be really interesting. I, I, I would, I would be there for it. So, so Tom Holland is going to do his own thing in the Sony universe for now. But we're not left without a Spider-Man. We've got an older, aged Spider-Man still in the MCU. So we've got two Spider-Man doing two different movies, two different universes. Tom Holland's in the Sony universe of Spider-Man. 
and Toby Maguire comes back and he's doing the MCU stuff. What do you think? I have to, I'm going to say one thing. Um, in general, all of the multiverse stuff and all these rumors are so much fun. Uh, at the same time, and this is just my personal taste and preference. I've always found that if you lean too heavily into the multiverse shit, it just reduces the stakes so much. And here's, well, here's like what I mean. Like Marvel, ever since uh, the latest, the Hickman Secret Wars, has really leaned very heavily. And I know Marvel's always had a multiverse, but they've gone like all in on multiverse the last several years. And anytime you see a character die, it's like, well, that could have been like the Earth 472 version of this character. And, you know, at one time we had fucking like four Wolverines. You had Old Man Logan. You had fucking the regular Wolverine. You had the Phoenix Wolverine. You had, like there, there's a point in which the multiverse shit is too much for me personally. It's always seemed more like a DC thing than a Marvel thing for me. For me. That being said. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I just hope that this is not the new normal where for the next 10 years, every fucking Marvel team, I have to explain to people that like, I have to explain to my dad who goes to see these movies that this one character is like, oh, this is Spider-Man, but the version from this Earth and this multiverse it just gets to be too much. But don't you think that like, I don't know if this is going to be Thanos level to where we're building like the next 10 years around the multiverse, but I could definitely see us doing half a decade of this shit. I could see that. And I could see it culminating in Secret Wars and I could see the Russos coming back for Secret Wars. Well, the Russos, the Russos are on fucking record saying that they've always wanted to do a Spider-Man movie and who's leaving Spider-Man to do Fantastic Four? John Watts. A lot of people been talking about buzz about will the Russos come back to Marvel to do the one character that they've really been wanting to do. I don't know, man. I think that, I think the Russos are tied up and, and, and doing their own production company, Agbo. I think that that's where they, that's what they're doing is all the Agbo stuff, trying to get Agbo off the ground and sell these Agbo movies to Netflix. You know, they did, you know, uh, I think Extraction was part of that. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm is it, I I think if they're going to come back, I don't know if it's Secret Wars. I think it could be I think it could be as something as personal as a Spider-Man movie if they were to come back. They've gone on the record saying that they love Spider-Man and John Watts is leaving. Could they come back and do a Spider-Man movie? Yeah, I would love that. I would love the Russos to do a Spider-Man movie. It's unfortunate that they're not going to be involved with the stuff going on now because they've really proven that they've got a handle on juggling just a shit ton of characters that are going to be featured in one movie. And I'd maybe be a little bit less leery of what's really going to happen in Spider-Man 3, knowing that they were involved. Well, uh, well, they'd be taking on Spider-Man after Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 is going to be... John no, I know, says, yeah. I know. I'm, I'm just saying that it's unfortunate that it isn't this movie that they could be involved with because yeah. I, I think it needs someone like them. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know how excited I am for a John Watts Fantastic Four. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I was hoping they were going to get really creative with their uh, directing choice for that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I do have this small hope too that somewhere in all of these deals between Sony and Marvel, we get just a glimpse of Tobey Maguire in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, so that we get 
give me 30 seconds of Sam Raimi directing that Spider-Man character. You know, that'd be so much fun. I just don't know if that's going to happen given that the timing of this other Spider-Man. Film, right. But, yeah. Yeah. It is crazy that Raimi's coming back after not directing a movie for such a long time. And then there's all these rumors of the stuff he did in Spider-Man being such a major part of Spider-Man three. Yeah. And him not being like involved with that. Daniel Rickman, you know, Daniel RPK on Twitter is basically saying, uh, he said in a tweet and he's been doing like Patreon stuff as well. Like he lets his Patreon followers get in on some of his scoops and stuff like that. And he's like, he's been hit or miss Daniel RPK. He's, he's had actually had a few things recently come to be true. Um, but then there was a stint there for a while where he's getting a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff wrong. But he said, uh, I'm not too worried about Spider-Man three being too crowded. The villains aren't just cameos, but this is still very much Holland's movie. Plus with Toby's back. Yeah. You know, they'll finally mention uncle Ben and the classic Spidey, Spidey line. And I guess like that's, that's one of the things that they're setting up is like the, they're saying is going to happen is that Toby McGuire is going to be the one that says, you know, um, with, um, great power comes great responsibility and that, that Peter's basically Tom Holland's Peter Parker's going to acknowledge that his uncle Ben had already said that is what I'm hearing. That's a cool, oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. There's a, I don't know, man, there's a, there's a bunch of shit on Reddit too from that. They've been posting what Daniel RPK has been saying about the new Spider-Man three they said that the approach that's being taken with the movie seems to be a lot like Star Trek Generations in that the big crossover element that's all over the marketing doesn't fully come into play until the third act of the film. So rest easy. It's a movie about Tom Holland's iteration first and foremost. The story begins right after Mysterio's bombshell hits the dailybugle.com, leaving Spider-Man's secret identity exposed. Much of the first act involves Peter directly having to deal with the fallout of his newfound bad publicity and proving that he didn't kill Mysterio, along with potentially exposing Mysterio as the person behind the elemental attacks. However, the multiverse element starts to seep into the big picture while Peter is out to clear his name directly as a result of the events of WandaVision and Scarlet Witch's reality-altering powers surfacing at the worst possible moment. With what uh, the second act entails is not clearly stated at this time, but it may be safe to presume that the first act will mostly focus on villains in the MCU, while the villains from other universes really seep through in the middle of the film. The movie is indeed the middle chapter of a spiritual trilogy. Uh, besides that, he stated that Willem Dafoe and Thomas Hayden Church have officially signed on. The threads about some of the villains having new costumes are posted here, so I won't go over those. So, yeah, some of the villains are going to have new costumes. Of course, we know Electro is not going to be blue. <laughs> um, and I'm sure Willem Dafoe, if he does come back, is going to have a new costume. I, I don't know. There was a fucking – there was some – there was a poster that had fan fiction on Reddit underneath this thread – and it was fucking amazing. I loved his <laughs> the way he saw the story playing out. If you want to read that, send me a email 
comments at pop culture leftovers. No, send it to Brian at pop culture leftovers.com. B R I A N at pop culture leftovers.com. Just title it Spider-Man three. And I will send you this. It's fan fiction of like what this fan wanted to see happen in Spider-Man three. And it's fucking great. <laughs> it's fucking great, Jake. I'll send it to you if you want to see it. It's really, yeah, I would like to see that. It's awesome. And it got, it's the most upvoted comment underneath the thread of Daniel RPK's scoop. And it is so good. And it talks about how they incorporate, how they would incorporate Charlie Cox's daredevil into this. It is so good. I'm like, if this is the movie that we get, I am so in. But who knows? Who knows what John Watts is going to do at the end of the day with this fucking movie? Do you remember that in the Garfield movies they didn't use with great power comes great responsibility? It was like Martin Sheen saying something kind of sort of like that, but different. Um, did you remember that? What? Yeah. What did he What no. did he do? I feel like fucking Chris Farley, the Chris Farley on the Chris Farley show. <laughs> remember um, that part in the Garfield <laughs> Spider-Man movies? But, yeah. But I guess they, I guess they didn't want to. So he says something along the lines of. And I'm not I'm totally paraphrasing, but he's like, when you have a gift and you have a a capability, you have a responsibility to give that gift to the world. It's like they just were too embarrassed to lean into that line. So they they, call it. Did they did they lean into the jerk and say that he had a special purpose? It's a oh, sorry. Think, that was a Steve Martin jerk joke. I, it didn't I haven't, work. I, I haven't seen the jerk. You've never seen the jerk. Oh my no, god! No, I have, but it's been it's been a long time. Right. I was probably a child when I saw the jerk. But, All right. But uh, that's another one where I could see you know like Toby and uh, um, Tom Holland you know talking about their uncle saying something, and then Andrew Garfield shitty character is like, well, but you know I had a little different spin on that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I want to point out that Melissa is still on this episode. Who? Oh, I'm here. No. <laughs> Learning about Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man's. During the break, I just want to share. Melissa and I also bonded over gout, and she gave me some tips. <laughs> she gave me some tips as to how to avoid drinking myself into gout again. So thank you, Melissa. Hey, you're welcome. I do what I can. Uh, DC news, and then we're going to wrap this bitch. This news came from uh, EW.com. Zack Snyder is looking to bring his highly anticipated director's cut of Justice League to the big screen, and his new footage would likely tip the four-hour opus into an R rating. Quote, here's one piece of information nobody knows. The movie is insane and so epic and is probably rated R. That's one thing I think will happen, that... It will be an R-rated version for sure, Snyder tells EW. We haven't heard from the MPAA, but that's my gut. As for details about what makes the new footage explicit, Snyder reveals there's one scene where Cyborg shows everybody his dick. <laughs> I assumed it was going to be Henry Cavill, but uh, Cyborg yeah. makes sense too. I, I, I was actually hoping we get to see the bat cock, but... It's, well, he says "fuck." I hear so. It's cyborg's cyborg's robotic penis. Did it survive the accident? It, so it's robotic. It's it, it. It is a cyborg. It's a cyborg dick. It's half man penis and half uh, robot. It's a just it's combo. the way we like them. It's a com- I was going to yeah. say that makes the accident in- instantly uh, worth it. I think. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, it, <laughs> Snyder reveals there's one scene where Batman drops an F-bomb. Cyborg is not too happy with what's going on with his life before he meets the Justice League, and he tends to speak his mind. Probably bitches about Joss Whedon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting ready to make the same joke. <laughs> <laughs> and Steppenwolf is pretty much just hacking people in half. So the rating would be due to violence and profanity. Probably both. Um, yeah. So, uh, this, uh, Snyder cut, the, the first off, number one, it's not 100% that this is going to be a theatrical release. That is Snyder saying that it, it that, that it's been, he's not, have you been hearing that Snyder's been saying that this is going to be filmed in IMAX, that it's going to be in IMAX, that it's going to release in IMAX theaters? That is not 100% confirmed. That's just Snyder. That makes sense though, that, even though it's not going to actually be released that way, he would film it that way. He has an affinity for, you know, filming things in IMAX scope. Yeah. Well, wouldn't it would feel like if that happened, it's more of a fathom event kind of thing, right? Oh, like, no, it, yeah. I think, it, I think if it would be a, a big deal, it'd be more than fathom. I think Warner Brothers wants to make money off of Justice League, the money that they potentially lost. Well, that's, I mean, that's selling HBO Max subscriptions, right? Yeah, yeah. But if they were to theatrical release this thing, I think they would do like a one weekend only. Like, it wouldn't be Fathom, but I think it would be a little bit, you know, more advertised. Are you going, hold on. Like, if you're going to release this theatrically, are you going to see a four-hour fucking movie? Or are you seeing it? theaters? You, yeah, I, well, I mean, there are theaters open. I can, if I want to, right now, Illinois doesn't have them, but if I want to go to Indiana right now, I can go see Monster Hunter in, in theaters. I mean, I get that, but like, creating a four hour movie from. Well, that's my, that, that's my thing. It's like he's talking about this, this four like, hour. Who's seeing this and where? This four <laughs> hour, this four hour fucking opus. And, but, but he's talking about fucking. Showing it in theaters. Who, who, I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm not sitting in a theater for four fucking hours. So if if I'm going to a theater, are they giving me? Are they giving me? Am I paying to see something less than the four hour cut of Justice League? And I think like once it's on HBO Max, it'll be. I if they're smart, they'll break it down into four parts. Haven't they already said that that's the case? <clears throat> that it's yeah. being released episodically. I that's the smart way to do it. But like, if they're also releasing it theatrically, are you getting a two-hour version of this, or are you going to see the four-hour fucking cut? If Zack no. Snyder has his way, he wants you to see the four-hour cut. Well, who's but, going? Who's sitting in a fucking theater for four hours? Yes, there will there there will be an intermission. <laughs> if you if you boil it down though, I've just got to say, is it gone with? The, is this gone with the wind? It, it going to HBO Max is fun and awesome and charming, and it means so much for fans of the DCEU. I'm so glad it's happening. This going to theaters, there's a little bit of the like, hey, we completely fucked up, so we're releasing the same movie but unfucking it up. <laughs> so it's like really bizarre when you think about it for this to hit big screens i mean like i'm trying to think of every shitty movie growing up that disappointed me and if the studio had the balls to say we're gonna we're gonna just try again 
<laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. Here's the here. Hold on. I'm gonna try again. Come see the movie in a like, pandemic. You didn't like the you didn't like the fucking hour and a half version uh, of Mac and Me, but we've got a three hour version of Mac and Me that is just it's it's incredible. It's the it's the director's yeah. vision of Mac and Me. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like in somebody being like, listen, we know that Indiana Jones and the King and the Crystal Skull was a major fuck up. Just give us another eight bucks and we'll completely change. We're going to show you a much better version of that movie. It's just, it's really odd. It is very odd. Yeah, it's going to be a four-part miniseries hitting HBO Max in March is what Collider reported yesterday. Yeah. Theatrically, though. Like, Snyder's reporting, like, IMAX theaters theatrically. Warner Brothers hasn't confirmed this. But, like, when you go to the theater, are you watching the Four hour version of this movie? Me personally, never. But oh, I know that. I'm just saying, like, if when, once it's released in the theaters, is it, is it a four hour event? The studio chains are not happy with Warner Brothers right now either. Do they just tell Warner Brothers to fuck off? They are wanting anything, though. Like at this point, they need anything yeah. to fucking get people to fucking go into the theaters. AMC's going to be claiming bankruptcy in January. They're running out of cash. I mean, by the, by the way, we rent last weekend my family rented a whole theater for 150 bucks. We split it with three other families and watched a movie. Four yeah. families in the entire fucking theater. Wow. That's the we've come to. Uh <laughs> do you really want to know the crudes too? <laughs> crudes. I, too. I, I I I know laughter. <laughs> I mean, it, it was family and kids and yeah. that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was it, fucking terrible. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that's how desperate these theaters are. I mean, it's it's really disturbing. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. I love Zack Snyder's enthusiasm, and I am definitely going to be watching the Snyder Cut day one when it is released on HBO Max. But if I am told that the Snyder Cut is being released as a four-hour event in the theater in IMAX, um, if theaters are open at that time, I am not sitting four hours in a theater to watch this. I will wait for it. I, this is one that I will wait to watch at home. For, for sure, dude. I'd rather <clears throat> lose my dick and not get a robot dick to replace it than sit four hours in the theater to watch this. Yeah, man, that's a, that was a series of events you just put us through there, Jay. <laughs> Sorry. It was, <laughs> it was tragic, but I still I, don't have to see Zack Snyder's four hours of Justice League. I was hanging on every word there. I was like, is Jake going to get his dick back? Oh, it's a, it's a robotic penis. Thank God Jake has his dick back. I, All of a sudden, Jake's the most popular guy in town too with that robotic dick. Yeah, no shit. It's like, it's like, it's like, not only can it satisfy, but it also, it, it, it's also, it's, it can, uh, sweep your floors. It's a Dyson. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it well, stirs a mean cocktail. The vibration feature really valuable during sex. Not so much when you're pissing. <laughs> <laughs> All, yeah. It's a not, not easy cleanup. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Snyder cut the R rating F bombs. I don't know, man. We'll see. I can't wait to see this thing. I can't either. I'm looking forward to it. I hope it, you know, honestly, I honestly, honestly, anything's better. I think, I honestly think it is going to be better than what we fucking got with that Josh Whedon, Josh Whedon bullshit. (laughs) Bold statement. Anything's got to be better than that, right? Anything. Anything. 
I wonder if Aquaman's going to drop some F-bombs. He's going to be like, fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Where's my fucking seahorse? Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! All right. Did, did Aquaman ride a seahorse in the Aquaman movie? Did that happen? I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think a sea. Maybe a whale. Missed opportunity. That'd have to be a big fucking seahorse, Jake. You know, we don't have. So does he? Does he jet ski with dolphins in the Aquaman movie? <laughs> he rides a. Uh, I think he doesn't. He ride like a like a tortoise that has like uh, one of those those plastic six pack things, like strangling its neck. Oh, no. <laughs> wow, Aquaman! You're when you're drunk, dude, it was yeah, it was fucked up, man. <laughs> oh, I want to thank oh, you. I, you know what, Greg? I want to thank you for joining us this week. Yeah, I apologize to you and all the listeners for the awful audio, um, but uh, thank you for having me as always. Absolutely, Melissa. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? Thank you. You can find me um, hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast or co-hosting the Still Great Baba Madman podcast podcast. You can also find her <laughs> idly silent as we're talking about Spider-Man 3 news. Yeah. Fred. Yep. <laughs> Fred. That you, too. Didn't, you didn't you ask. Find me I know, Greg, I'm going to get friends on Twitter as well. <laughs> Greg, I was going to get back to where people could find no, you. you no, you weren't. Yes, you I were, was. As soon as, hey, as soon as you, you were leaving my YouTube channel totally out of it. And I get it. As get soon it. as I maybe, said, where can people maybe, find Melissa? No, and I realized no, that no, I didn't fucking no, say. No, 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 no. You're not a handy fan. I get it. You're not handy a handy fan. Handy Greg. Oh, you know what? You can find, you can find Greg lying in a fucking pile of angst and fucking anger. That's where you can find him. You can find him in a fucking, you can, you can find him in a ditch of denial is where you can find him. I, it's fine. I just, I've been waiting. To, I check and see every subscription. I, I don't believe you're a subscriber. It's fine. It's, I'm not hurt at all. You can, you can find, you can find Greg in a river of tears. I've been listening to your show. I'm crying for you. Not just one subscription. I just that's all I want. That's all I want. But I get it. No. no uh, Amazing okay. home projects with Andy Gregg on YouTube. There you go. Yeah. With a fucking Soddenberg level of film. All, all natural lighting. <laughs> all natural lighting. All on an iPhone 4. <laughs> <laughs> well, I recently upgraded to the iPhone 11. So there you go. There From you a go. 4 to 11. Wow. Yeah, it was an iPhone. I was on an 8 before. So Okay. Quite the quite the quite the jump there, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. I do a lot for the fans. All right, yeah, handy Greg, handy <laughs> handy Greg on YouTube. I was gonna get back to you. No, you weren't. Don't oh, okay. It's Christmas. Don't, don't you lie to me. I can tell when you're full of shit, and you're full of shit right now. It's Christmas. Tell me the truth, Brian. You were gonna just skim right over. I here was gonna skim. Yeah, yeah. You can't find Greg anywhere. This guy's off the grid. Well, no, it's fine. He doesn't exist. He only exists when we record this podcast. After this podcast, Greg doesn't you you cease to exist for me as a person, Greg, when we're not recording. I like how feisty Greg got here at the end. I know, I know. And I was being one hundred percent serious too. I was gonna get back to him. No, you weren't. Yeah, and then he's all pissing and moaning over there. 
All right. Okay. All right. Fine. No. All right. Greg, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us this week. And then Melissa, I thank you too. Jesus Christ. Jake, every week, with, <laughs> every, every week with you and the guests, man. It's a, it's a, isn't it fun? Isn't it fun, Jake? Oh, it's a great time. <laughs> I've got party poppers for as soon as we end the episode. Yeah, I mean, yeah, man. All right. Uh, I'm gonna. You know what? I. You know what? I'm out of brioche Here? hot dog buns. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do with all that mayonnaise? Oh my god! Uh. Can I get? Can I give you a handy Greg life hack? Just while in this, just real quick. Yeah, go for it. All right. If you're out of hot dog rolls, okay. Mm-hmm. Consider using the, you know, when you get to the end of a, a loaf of bread, that, that end no. piece, a lot of people don't like that. Gross. No. No, no, no. But like, but, but please bear with me. The end piece, the end piece, it's all crust. Wrap that thing around a hot dog, put a little ketchup on there, just as good of a bun. And that's your handy Greg tip of the week. Oh, no. Unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> What, yeah, what is, what's wrong with the end piece? What do you, what's your big problem with the end piece? What, you like to make a sandwich it's out like of the It's like the weird dry part after you already ate a whole loaf of bread. But what I'm telling you is wrapping that around a hot dog with a little ketchup, it's just, it's the same as a, it's the same as a hot dog. My favorite thing is to take, when I first start a loaf of bread, and you got that first end piece, I like to set that aside. And then I like to go through the, and I put it in a Ziploc baggie, set it off to the side. I go through <laughs> all of the other fucking interior bread pieces until I get to the very end. And then I just make an end piece sandwich where I just basically put those two together and I just eat that. And man, I'm talking, that is a, that is a fun sandwich right there. Nothing in between it. Just basically just two end pieces fucking each other and then fucking my, my mouth, my, my my taste buds as as it is like a little roll it's yeah, it is it's just a little roll it's like a, it's like a, the tiniest loaf of bread when you look at it when it's together <laughs> <laughs> do you ever make peanut butter and jelly with those end pieces oh man no no plain what do you mean plain he doesn't put anything in between them. No. Come on, that's not a sandwich then. That's two pieces of bread. Mmm. Mmm. That's an air sandwich, my man. Ah, oh, so good. Just those two little fucking pieces of bread. I like the, I know, I like the Nobody's look. Nobody's eating the fucking heel of the bread. Okay? I like the, no. The heel of the bread is Nobody. Garbo. I eat the Nobody. heel. I eat, who, you throw the heel out? Yes. Oh I my. can't remember the last time I even brought a loaf of bread. I usually leave it in the loaf the entire time. It's like the lid to the loaf. Listen to Melissa over there. Melissa's like, I can't remember the last time I... What am I, a fucking like 1800s European woman buying loaves of bread and shit? <laughs> Melissa, how are, how are your sandwich needs met? I need to know. I don't have sandwiches. <laughs> I live what? alone. <laughs> Do you get like takeout and stuff like that? Yeah, I get that fucking Jimmy John's. I don't even know what that is. Is that like Jimmy a John's is fucking Jimmy garbage. John's. Jimmy John's is garbage. They put so much sugar in their bread. Oh, it's terrible. Don't they have all kinds also, of animal abuse shit going on yes, too behind exactly. the scenes? Exactly. 
I was about to be like, caveat, the Jimmy John's owners. Yeah, Jimmy John's. I don't really eat sandwiches. They fucking, they came to my door and dropped off a sandwich and they were slapping a dog in the face when they did it. (laughs) I bet they fucking were, too. (laughs) I was was like, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on? I just, I just wanted a fucking turkey sandwich and you're beating a fucking schnauzer in front of me. What is, stop it, leave it, leave that fucking schnauzer alone! Is this oh, a Midwest thing? I don't even know what this is about. Yeah, it's a company called Jimmy John's. They make freakishly fast Subway sandwiches. Yeah, Sub- so fast you'll freak. It's right? so, yeah. The guy beats dogs? Yes! Yes! yes. Oh my god, this is awful. Big game, which, is essentially the same thing. They come to your oh, door, they drop off a sandwich, and then they slap a dog around. Aww. Dude, his best friend is Michael Vick. Yeah, it was big a big problem. There. <laughs> oh, man. I was not expecting the dog <laughs> You said animal abuse, and I was like, where can I take How can I make this weird? <laughs> oh, kudos. <laughs> All right, just like all good leftover sand, the doggy bags, doggy bags. <laughs> Get it? Oh, man, that's fucked. The one time that they fucking put the fucking plastic bag over the dog's head, <laughs> I was like, "What in the fuck? Just give me my salami sandwich." Okay, we'll see you next week. Bye. Later. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a t-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, paint it, race it, let's embrace it. Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over, counterculture, push over. Pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say's already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good. I've already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft. And we're the shaft of crap, even though we're the shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, hate it, race it, left embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say has already been said Leftover Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftover Do we 
love it, hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture. Leftover, I'm cool kids, what's to say has already been said, leftover, only talent, it's the band that's singing this, pop culture leftovers.